What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Jordan. And this is Desmond. And welcome to episode 128 of Two Black Nerds. Yeah. That's right. It's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and how it takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate that love, y'all. And let's not forget to mention, we have brand new merchandise that's available now. Now at twoblacknerds.com. Go check out our Nerds of Thunder collection inspired by Thor Love and Thunder. We got t-shirts, crew necks, hoodie stickers, mugs, and tote bags. So go ahead and place those orders right now. On today's show, it's all about the 29th feature film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Thor Love and Thunder. We'll be spending the entire episode doing a spoiler-filled breakdown of the film's characters, major moments, and big reveals. But before we get to any and all of that, we're kicking off this week's podcast with a quick recap of how we arrived at the release of the latest MCU film. So back in 2019, at the San Diego Comic-Con convention, we were both watching and waiting to hear what the Phase 4 announcements were going to be. We were certainly anticipating where the direction was going to go, fresh off of the heels of Avengers Endgame. And one of the big questions leading into that Comic-Con of that year was, what was going to happen with Thor? Because we had wrapped up his trilogy, at least his initial trilogy. We had saw what the character had evolved into by the time of the release of Avengers Endgame. And there were just a lot of questions about who the character was going to be, where he was going to pop up in the future, because the last frame of that movie was really him leaving with the Guardians of the Galaxy. So we didn't really have much direction in terms of where he was going to go. But then we got official confirmation about this movie, Thor Love and Thunder, at the San Diego Comic-Con. And I remember us both watching that and just witnessing all of the plans unveil right before our very eyes. It was a really, yeah. really exciting time. Of course, things got pushed back ultimately because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so things have come out a little bit later than we anticipated. But be that as it may, man, what were your recollections and and thoughts about hearing that we were going to get a fourth Thor movie especially considering he was going to be the first solo character in the MCU to get a fourth film and we had a lot of those questions about what his direction was going to be whether or not he was going to pop up as a supporting character have a series Mm -hmm. we didn't really know what was going to happen but once we got the announcement of a fourth Thor film what 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 do you remember about your thoughts and hearing that announcement yeah man I remember first and foremost that you know my one of my first thoughts is that well this makes sense Thor has to have another movie. Um, and, you know, in, in the spirit of uh, what happened in Endgame, the two of the big three had retired, right? There was no more Iron Man. There was no more Captain America. But it made sense for Thor to live on. One, he's a god, <laughs> first and foremost. But also his story was very much incomplete, right? He was a very lost soul. And so hearing that Thor Love and Thunder was coming, of course, I was very excited, of course, um, knowing that, that Taika would potentially be at the helm again. Of course, we... We're both big fans of Ragnarok, so hearing that Thor: Love and Thunder was coming is like, oh shit! And it's a very '80s title. It's like easy to be excited for uh, hearing about a movie like that 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 feels so Thor. Um, and and as he did leave with the Guardians of the Galaxy, the idea that there might be a lot of uh, the as Guardians of the Galaxy being a big thing was a, at least at that time, right? I, I thought, oh shoot, this is about to be a badass movie with the feature in the guardians you know that has thor so i was very excited to hear it man um everything was just leading up to that moment i think in terms of of how hot marvel was at the time man those marvel those movies we just said ragnarok infinity war and get like they were all just hitting and so i i was just really excited to hear that especially as much as i love the guardians people know guardians of the galaxy is like my one of my favorite marvel movies and so knowing that they were they would potentially be part of that film too um was also exciting so all things considered that taika waititi coming back chris hemsworth 
the the even the title Thor: Love and Thunder feeling eighties ish. I was I was super excited, man. So I I was ready to go. Yeah, they usually keep a lot of stuff very close to the vest, and at that particular time, they wanted all focus and attention to be on Avengers Endgame and really wrapping up the Infinity Saga, so we didn't hear about any announcements. We had heard some rumors, but not any you know real concrete announcements until that Comic-Con, and I just remember watching. It was just so overwhelming to see yep. how much stuff that they had planned, but then to see, like, oh, yeah, Thor's going to get a fourth movie. I think for all the reasons you said it made sense, and then on top of that, I, I think that they really sort of signaled to us that adventures would continue just based off of the fact that he had left with the guardians and that there was so much potential there Mm -hmm. especially with that banter and that chemistry that existed between him and chris pratt between infinity war and endgame folks just wanted more of that i think we all wanted to see more thor had had sort of a rebirth within the mcu because of ragnarok and then the further evolution that happened in those two avengers films so it certainly did not seem like the end for him and he is one of that those last og remaining members and so i think that sense of familiarity for the audience was also like a welcome sort of pleasant thing to keep around also we found out at that comic-con that year that natalie portman would be returning as jane foster which was certainly a big surprise but also i think a lot of people were suspecting that something was going on because of her appearance in avengers Endgame, and folks hadn't seen her a part of any mcu movie since thor the dark world and we'll cover a lot more of that in our actual review but what were your thoughts just about seeing her come back into the mcu as well just considering all the things that had happened with her character how those two movies that she was a part of, the first one was okay and it was good, mostly well received. But that second one, which was the last time we had saw her really until Avengers Endgame, kind of left a sour note in people's mouths. Yeah, my mind, man, it's just time to try again. You know, Natalie Portman is <laughs> an amazing, you know, uh, uh, legendary actress in my in my point of view. And so I just thought, okay, MCU was headed in a new direction than where it was when Thor: The Dark World came out. And Taika, you know, didn't really get a chance to 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 use her in in his film like he did in Ragnarok. So you know, coming in here, I was like, okay, I'm down with trying this thing again because the landscape has changed tremendously. Um, so you know, the, the amazing actress she is, the 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 lack, I guess, of a a resonant love story, I think, was also very useful but it makes sense you know when you give him the title it's like duh love and thunder jane is back let's do it um but most of all was i knew when she was coming back i was like oh yeah it's time for for jane foster to be thor here i knew it was, i just knew um hearing the news that that it was time and and you know i was i wasn't disappointed in that um either so i was I was also excited for that, man, knowing whenever I hear Natalie Portman's in anything, usually I'm, I think I'm pretty excited to watch it. So even even in the, 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 the history that we've gotten, I don't know, I was just really hopeful, I think, at that time because Phase 3 ended so good, man. I was just really ready for, for, for seeing what Phase 4 held for me. And so knowing that that would be part of it, Natalie Portman would still be part of it and everybody would be part of it to, to try again. I was also pretty pretty decent for that news of course a little skeptical knowing the again the we in our love episode you know we talk about their relationship but i think just just the being able to try something new and try again was still very exciting for me yeah trying something new is incredibly important when you've reached the fourth movie of a franchise (laughs) because you have to continue to turn out new ideas and do different things because by the time you get to the fourth film it's like well what are we going to do here what's going to be different than than the prior three and certainly Mm -hmm. this is certain you know very much different than the prior three but i think adding in jane foster bringing back natalie portman especially considering what we saw in the history of the comic books and how that character evolved 
which we'll talk more about again, is it made a lot of sense to to go in this direction. Like if you could get her back and get her on board for that story and to make it meaningful to the character of Thor and just the world that they had built within the MCU, of course it has to be a, a level of adaptation there. It can't be the exact exactly. comic run of what they used to do. But hearing that, it just made sense at, the, at that particular time because things were changing. The MCU was now moving in a different direction. There was a bit of a sense that the torch was going to be passed from mm-hmm. a certain generation of characters to a new generation of characters. I don't know if that exactly happened in this movie, but just that idea at that particular time, it made a ton of sense because we were getting so many new characters and obviously Jane Foster was a returning character, but we would see her in a new light because they confirmed that she would be Thor. There was no, there was no speculation about that. Taika right. Waititi on that stage exactly. said like, yes, she's going to be Thor and he handed her Mjolnir right then and there on stage. So we knew we knew the direction that they were heading in. And of course, this movie has come out this past weekend and it's done tremendous, tremendous business at the box office. Crazy. Domestic, it opened up to $143 million. Globally, a $302 million opening. It's officially the third biggest opening of 2022. It's the 12th biggest opening for Marvel Studios ever. And this is really interesting because I've seen some people sort of be critical of this number because it didn't open as big as, say, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. But mm-hmm. let's put this in perspective. The first Thor movie opened to 65 million Thor the Dark World just a couple of years later opened up to 85 million and then you fast forward to Thor Ragnarok which was about four years after the Dark World obviously the movie that kind of reinvented the character 122 million monster opening and this one is still able to eclipse the previous film coming out making about 21 million dollars more than the previous entry I don't know how many series exist where every subsequent film makes more than the last one. That that that's really a rarity. It almost yeah. never happens. Maybe the Avengers franchise, sure, mm-hmm. but I don't even that fran- I, I know Age of Ultron didn't open as big as the first one. So I don't right. I, I didn't sure. research this, but I don't know how many actual franchises with every additional entry open bigger than the prior one. Um first of all, what do you think about this number? And then the second question I want to ask Though that the opening is bigger than Thor Ragnarok, do you think that Thor Love and Thunder's overall total box office can possibly eclipse Thor Ragnarok, mm. which I think is sitting around $850 million, mm-hmm. somewhere around there? Do you think that the number itself can eclipse that globally at the box office? Yeah, man, this number is it's, it's, it's insane, but it's also the power of this, the MCU, man, and what we've gotten out of the character Thor. I've, I've, lear- I've come to learn over these past really couple months that people love Thor. Um, it just is what it is. It's, it's again, he's, he's been here since the beginning. And I think, um, you know, that, that even that change that we got in after, after Ragnarok and going into infinity war, going into Endgame as he's just, I don't know. He became a behemoth. He, he's the big, he's the big three that's left, right? There's no cap. There's no Iron Man, but Thor is here and people, really stick to that and people really really love this character and so i think the number makes sense going based off you know a couple of those ideas but also coming off the 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 idea that of the things that they've seen in the trailer i think the a lot of the the marketing for this movie was really good i talk i literally rave about this poster (laughs) all the time um people love rock and love stories like that's very much a thing that the MCU has never harped on, especially not in in, in terms of, um, um, you know, marketing or anything like that. They're like, look, this is a rock and a love story. That is what's going to happen here. And I think people looked at that, too. And I think, yeah, there's just a couple things that makes this number make sense. Is it going to match up to what Ragnarok has done over time? I'm not sure, uh, because the there's so many mixed reviews on the film that 
I, I'm afraid it deteriorates, not deteriorates, but deters people from wanting to go see this movie potentially as much as Ragnarok was like, not necessarily the opposite. It also had a great opening, but it wasn't, but people was like, nigga, go see Ragnarok right now versus yeah. like, that is not the same reception that this movie is getting per se. And so I'm not sure if it'll ever hit it. I'm really not sure. It, it depends on the curiosity of the people. I think I, th- I, I kind of have a feeling that it will die a little bit after this, this, this first weekend, maybe even the second weekend will be good too, but I feel like it'll, it'll die more. So than Ragnarok did, we'll have to see. I'm not sure, but yeah, I'm, I, I have, I'm very skeptical that it'll live up to the numbers of Ragnarok. Yeah, interesting scenario that they're in. Of course, the opening weekend is bigger. Will it be able to outgross the prior entry over the long haul globally? I don't know either. If I had to take a guess, I would say, if I had to put money on it, I would say it might match it. I don't know mm-hmm. if it exceeds it. I think it comes close or matches it. Yeah. For the reasons you said, the the reception is not as good. Ragnarok was pretty much universally loved when it came out it had just great great scores across the board from critics audiences people just love that movie obviously repeat repeat business has a has a ton to do with this as to whether or not a film can reach those really really big numbers um the only thing that i'll give this film even though it's not as well received i think largely most audiences enjoyed although it's a little bit more divisive than the previous injury entry excuse me but there isn't really anything coming out that can compete with it over the next few weeks. There's not That's like true. a ton of competition. This is like the last really huge tentpole movie that costs this much money that's going after a certain demographic. There's obviously mm-hmm. other movies coming out, but there isn't another Jurassic World about to come out. You know, there's right. not a movie of that scale that could stand in the, in its way. So if it were to reach the numbers of Ragnarok or maybe even eclipse them, I think it might be because of that reason. But we also can't forget Folks are now hip and aware that these movies come out on Disney Plus relatively quicker than they used to. This will be out on Disney Plus in less than 45 days now. You know, so we're looking at the middle of August. And I think a lot of people, if they look at those reviews and say, ah, it's okay, it's not the greatest, I'll probably just wait. Like, what's a month Mm -hmm. and a half? That's nothing. People will wait. So that might hurt it in the long run, but I think it'll come close. It's already like a third of the way there, $302 million. It's it's nuts, you know. So, yeah, yeah, so it 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 could definitely reach it really quickly here, but I don't think it. I don't think it goes to, you know, past a billion. I think, you know, at, at best, it probably matches Ragnarok, maybe slightly eclipses it. But at mm-hmm. worst, it'll come in slightly under it. Not 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 a lot. It, it might it might rest in the, I don't know, 775, 800 mm-hmm. range, you know, might miss it by just a few million here and there. But we'll have to see. But with that said, that's our official recap, because we spent an entire podcast last week covering Thor's journey all the way up until the release of this film. If you've not checked it out, definitely go listen to that episode because we did a lot of legwork in terms of where the character has been and how that all influenced the events of this movie but with that being said let's go ahead and get into it man let's not waste any more time and officially enter into our review of the 29th film in the marvel cinematic universe thor love and thunder kids get the popcorn now let me tell you the story of the space viking thor odinson he was no ordinary man he was a god after saving planet earth for the 500th time thor set off on a new journey well, he got in shape. He went from dead bod to god bod. And after all that, Mjolnir. he reclaimed his title as the one and only Thor. Oh, spoke too soon. Jane? The old ex-girlfriend. What's it been like? Three, four years? <laughs> Eight years, seven months, and six days. Give or take. Am I uh, sensing feelings? 
you're right. The only ones who gods care about is themselves. So this is my vow. All gods will die. I just want to say that was very, very impressive what you did back there. It's just my first bad guy. You never forget your first. You are not like the other gods of Kiln. Because I have something worth fighting for. Let's see who you are and take off your disguise. And flick! Oh, you flicked too hard, damn it! Shall we help him? I mean, eventually. Great. Now, this film is directed by Taika Waititi, and it's written by Taika Waititi and Jennifer Caton Robinson, and it's starring Chris Hemsworth, Christian Bale, Tessa Thompson, Jamie Alexander, Taika Waititi, Russell Crowe, and Natalie Portman. And so before we get into our traditional spoiler-filled breakdown where we go character by character and talk about all the big scenes and big moments from the film, we're going to spend a little bit of time doing our non-spoiler review. Just in case you haven't seen it, you are still officially safe because we'll generally talk about the movie, give some big picture overall thoughts without giving away any of the big secrets or things that occurred in terms of the plot and so with that said man i'll just go ahead and pass it to you overall what'd you think about thor 11 thunder man uh needless to say we came into this movie excited ready to go um i can't sing thor ragnarok's praises enough man it really is a a, a marvel um you know no pun intended but maybe also pun intended that you know was 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 something taika came in and changed the character that Man, needed changing because those those solo movies again. The first one was I actually like a lot. Thor, Thor, Dark World, very watchable, but probably definitely bottom tier <laughs> still. And when it comes to the MCU, um, but the the energy coming into this uh, another Thor film was really high. Again, Ragnarok, Infinity War, Endgame is peak Thor <laughs> in my mind and my feelings. Um, and so I was very excited to see this. The art. Is amazing. Thor: Love and Thunder looks good. The poster's crazy. I love that there's a rock theme. I love that Jane Foster exists in this movie as the Mighty Thor. I love um, um, really just just everything coming into this film. It felt good. But man, it is. Uh, I, I I I can't lie and say that I'm not disappointed by what this film gave me. Um, because of all those things I just said, there was so much ramping up into this film that that felt good. That felt like I was I was ready to go, but the the final result was just a little disappointing, man. Um, we're I think both of us on Letterboxd gave Ragnarok like a five stars, and so it, again, it's easy to be like, man, I I'm not necessarily I was never necessarily expecting another five star film i wasn't but i was like if you can give me a four and a half even a four i'm good and I, unfortunately I, I i didn't leave the theater with that feeling um and so first and foremost my, my positives of, of the film i love uh uh really all actors involved man i have to say are still amazing chris hemsworth has a very specific uh 
impressive comedic timing to him that is it's crazy like i don't even think people understand how hard it is to do some of the things that he does in these films um that that but he's he's really good at that man tessa thompson amazing natalie portman amazing christian bale sensational he might have been in a different movie <laughs> but he was doing he was still doing really good work here um in in what he was given and you know i love i still love the comic comic bookness of this film i love how it takes place in weird and random spots that feel like i'm watching a comic book movie uh there there are set pieces i think are crazy beautiful i'm like dang they look that looks good there are certain set pieces where i can tell they spend a lot of work uh somewhat perfecting how it looks um and, and it's like yes you did you did good there man like that looks really good i love the 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 um the score in this movie is amazing I think a lot of the music is still it definitely accents certain things about this film. Um, and and I think on paper as a written story, I actually think a lot of it works for me, like the way certain things turn out. I'm like, OK, I like this. I like that. These are these are these. This is still writing that I, I still feel like has a has a place and a purpose. Uh, but unfortunately, it doesn't all come together because I think some of the directorial choices that Taika decides to make here um and some of the things that he continues to do uh so 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 some of my cons of the film is the tone that Taika Waititi maintains throughout this film whereas we we know Ragnarok was such a change from Thor the Dark World where he he did accent so many um, um comedic tones in this film that made the weirdness of Thor Ragnarok make sense with being places like Sakaar and things like that um in in being or having characters like grandmaster played by jeff goldblum it just made sense i think in that film and coming into this film there i felt like there was no median there, uh, there was oftentimes too much comedy and you know people have said this and I, but i feel the same way that this movie made thor kind of it, it it turned him from funny into not serious at times and it took a lot of the things that he had grown from I feel like, and that he would understand in another movie. And because that Taika felt like he had to make a joke of it, it kind of took away from Thor's, his, his, I don't even know what the word is. It, it really just took away from it, really his, his smarts in a lot of different ways and things that I feel like he wouldn't do because he learned that in the previous movie. It's like, why are you doing that? You, you wouldn't, you don't do that anymore. You're a different Thor. And so, I don't know. I feel like the a lot of those comedic beats that we love I, I did praise Taika for in the previous Ragnarok just didn't work in this film because of a lot of those things he they, they kind of made Thor dumb in, in in a lot of different spots um some spots make a lot of sense and it, it works the first time and it works the second time but then you keep doing it over and over in the movie I'm like wow this movie is the definition of dumb fun it's like it's fun and, and, and I'm still having a good time watching it but I feel like Thor is still very much a serious character who has lost everything. And it's like, where's that feeling? You know, there's a couple times where Taika, he, I, w I will say he did evolve a little bit in a couple different ways where he allows you to sit a little bit longer on, on some of those beats where something serious is happening. But I wish it was even longer. Like, I wish it was like, this character's in agony. Don't say anything. But instead of not saying anything, it, he goes into 
he has to make a joke about it. And I'm like, dang, you didn't have to do that, bro. And and, and, and it still would have been fine. And so that happened a lot for me. Um, another one of the cons is because of that tone that Taika said, I think it took Christian Bell out the movie a little bit. Not because he wasn't doing great work, but because the tone was so crazy and wacky at times that Christian Bell was like this super extra serious character that like just didn't match what was happening. And actually, one of my favorite parts about this movie is Christian Bell. Um, but it was like, I don't know. It, it really was like he was in a different movie because everything around him was so silly at times. Um, I, I will say I do love... Uh, uh, though I do love the the contrast of that. At the same time, I do. I'm like, mm, this dude is serious. We we recognize there's color in this movie. Christian Bale's parts in the movie were dark. We realize, you know what I mean. I, I do like that idea, but I think when it comes to to again these comedic beats or maybe the the weird wackiness of Taika's directorial style, it just didn't match all the time. Um, another thing is, I thought I would see more Gore the God Butcher, which is bittersweet. One. I, it, when he's on screen, it's like, oh, shit, Gore's here. Be quiet. Let's pay attention. I, I like that about it. And But a thing I don't like about it, his name is Gore the God Butcher. We don't, not really spoilery. We don't get to see him kill a lot of gods in this movie. <laughs> and and so it, it, it I don't know, it just, it, it just took away a little bit from, I think, what Gore the God Butcher could have been by the way uh, Taika was directing this film. Um uh, I'll, I'll talk about a lot of this more in, in, the, in, in the spoiler review, too. But I actually... Um, Natalie Portman works for me in this movie more than I thought it would even though I, I was hopeful I still came with a lot of skepticism when it came to the love part of this film and I actually some of those parts actually tend to be some of the parts I like about it and I was like dang I like this I like this beat I like that beat and I think it does work more in this movie than it did in the first Thor and in, in, in Thor um, the dark world I think they did did it was it perfect I still don't think it was perfect but it still worked better than I thought it would and it worked um, in this film more than more than I was expecting it to so um, man that that was a, a, a long review <laughs> of non you know what I mean non-spoilery but I, I still have a lot of thoughts but I'm gonna leave it there for now it, it, it it's just disappointing overall but I still like the movie let's let's not get it twisted I still like the movie I just don't love it as much as I wanted to I really wanted to love this movie and I just don't man definitely disappointed yeah, don't worry. We certainly have the time today. But with that said, and with everything you just, you know, sort of laid out there, I, I do want to just quickly touch on Taika because this guy's been everywhere lately and he's extremely talented. He's really one of the most talented people working in Hollywood right now who has had a fascinating career and kind of a quadruple threat when you think about it. Like the, the guy writes, directs, produces acts he even does a lot of voice work as well we just saw him in Lightyear a few weeks ago the guys directed episodes of the mandalorian he's also in this apple tv mm -hmm. series and is directing an episode of our flag means death i mean free guy obviously a lot of that is due to the success of thor ragnarok which made right. him really a superstar in terms of the filmmaking world and being a, a really popular celebrity but this is his seventh feature film you know so he's been around for quite a while and i think Coming into this movie with everything you said about just how impactful and how much Thor Ragnarok changed the pace for the character and really influenced the events of what would happen with Thor Odinson within the MC over the next few years, that was something to be excited about. And once we got this announcement a few years ago and we had all of the information about what this movie might mean, the fact that Christian Bale was going to be a part of it, he, he's obviously one of the best actors in the world, Natalie 
Portman coming back, Academy Award winning actress, and and and, and mashing that stuff up with the pre existing elements that were introduced in Ragnarok. It's like this is going to be a tremendous recipe for success. There's no reason that this should fail, and I don't think this movie failed by any stretch of the the imagination. There's mm-hmm. much much worse stuff you can see, sure. and even with that idea in mind, Taika was very vocal coming into this movie that he wanted to do something very much different than Ragnarok. He did not want to do Ragnarok 2. You know, he wanted to go into a different direction. And he was asking himself, you know, what is it that the audience would not want to see out of the character? What what are the things that I could put into this movie that a very specific segment of the audience, probably us, if we're being honest, like the true comic book lovers <laughs> right. that really love Thor and we love a certain a certain sort of type of character that that, that comes out of out of that 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 really well known legendary mytho- mythological figure mm-hmm. and so he said like i want to make a movie about a guy who's having a bit of a midlife crisis you know and also the the imagery of like him kissing a girl and being in love and dealing with like those sappy emotions and and, and mm-hmm. overcoming love and loss that's what he wanted to make this film which is very different than ragnarok ragnarok is going after completely different styles and tones right. the comedy obviously matches up that sense of humor matches up but in terms of the types of stories that they are telling this feels different and i think it's noticeable and for that reason i'm in the same camp i liked it but certainly did not love this movie and i wanted to love it i wanted to really adore it and i wanted to walk away from it feeling like oh yes this is going to be like top 10 mcu now mm-hmm. and, and it's going to really deliver on everything i was looking for and it didn't you know and i think uh, a lot of this is it it, it, it ends up being a, an incredibly cheesy movie which i know for a lot of people that's not going to work like if you come into this expecting <laughs> a little bit more seriousness you want yeah. those dramatic tones this isn't that and and ragnarok wasn't all the way that but ragnarok did have a lot of dramatic gravitas when you go back and look at it you're talking about Mm -hmm. the destruction of asgard for goodness sakes and and the loss of a lot of people and the loss of his father odin in that movie so there were a lot of dramatic undertones even though they were infused and meshed with the comedy and the style stylistic choices of taika waititi but this one just goes even further into cheesy campy territory and i love campy movies i love stuff that's corny but you also have to ask yourself like well are there opportunities and moments to where you can maybe pull back a little bit and let some of those more dramatic moments breathe because they're there they exist but how much time are we actually giving to them to allow them the space and the opportunity to really affect us emotionally as an audience mm-hmm. and when i look even at thor ragnarok which that's going to come up a ton in this movie you just have to deal with the fact that same <laughs> right. director same writer like it's going to come up but if thor ragnarok is the equivalent equivalent of a 70s inspired space opera very much like what flash gordon was it was mm-hmm. very much inspired by that movie then thor love and thunder is closer to this boisterous sort of rainbow colored operatic 1980s rock movie right Mm -hmm. and i think that that's the whole style and tone that he was going for we saw it in the logo we knew that this was going to be the aesthetic of the movie and he he took visual inspiration from 80s films like conan the barbarian Beastmaster, like a lot of that artwork and it's stuff like that that i love when you lean into a very specific genre or subgenre Mm -hmm. and you can make an audience feel what you're going after even if they aren't familiar with those specific properties or films if they haven't seen them they get what you're going for and i think having that sort of guiding direction early in the marketing and in the tease and the hype leading up into the movie only helps and i think for the most part it was able to maintain throughout the movie i actually really love the stylistic choices from that perspective this movie has four songs from guns and roses i love that that's great stuff because it leans exactly into what they're going for but when you talk about the actual film and the substance and the tone it's 
it's all over the place. It's it's really messy, and it's also the shortest Marvel movie that we've gotten in four years, which crazy. has me wondering what might have been left on the table and what other opportunities could have been there to possibly improve what we ended up seeing. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of the character moments in this film and some of the story points, they ultimately were undercooked and could have been left in the oven a little bit longer. Some characters were underutilized. You already talked about a couple of them. Gore the God Butcher, certainly underutilized. Also, King Valkyrie, I think, was mm. done pretty big disservice here, which is very unfortunate. Apparently, there's a four and a half hour cut of this movie. I'm not saying that I want to see that, although I wouldn't I wouldn't dismiss it. I'd love yeah. to see it. Like, why not? <laughs> but realistically, there could have been more, I think. And, right. you know, Taika, he's been vocal now saying like, well, these things weren't that great. That's why we cut them out. And I trust directors, you know, if mm-hmm. they if they feel that something isn't working and they want to take it out, so be it. That's why deleted scenes and bonus features exist. That's why you and I collect physical media. But I, right. I do I do wonder and I'm a little bit dubious as to whether or not that could have actually improved the film. Mm-hmm. Maybe it could have, maybe, maybe not. We'll never really know because there's not going to be a director's cut. But I think in addition to those things about it being short and about the tone being all, all over the place, the humor, this is what I think a lot of people are going to live and die by as to whether or not they enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I find that there is now an over-reliance on humor instead of a more yeah. witty and creative way to inject mm-hmm. it into the film and make the story progress in a meaningful way. Now it's just like straight comedy, like Saturday Night Live skits right. writ large on the big screen. And I did laugh a lot, no doubt about oh, it. A sure. lot of stuff had me cracking up, but also a lot of the jokes don't land. And they mm-hmm. land even worse on repeat viewings. I saw this movie right. multiple times. And so like stuff that I might've chuckled at the first time doesn't really work when I go back and watch it. And Taika's throwing like a hundred jokes a minute all the time. There's stuff coming mm-hmm. at you. And at a certain age, I think that that might appeal to you. But as I grow older personally, my tastes are evolving and developing and changing. And at a particular time, I might've been cool with that. And I know that a lot of this movie is very much geared towards kids and a younger audience, which is mm-hmm. totally fine. But as I grow older, some of my tastes have evolved and I want a little bit more, a more, a little bit more consequence, a little bit more drama, a little bit more nuance and things that can really explore the layers in terms of character moments and their relationships and how they're reacting to certain information. And that's hard to do when there's just so much comedy, when a movie is kind of designed to live off of the comedy. And the last big con that I'll mention, and it's going to come back up, and there's a bigger conversation to have. We might not do it here. We might do it in our subsequent Twitter spaces that we'll have where we invite other people to talk about this movie. But there is just overall a declining and noticeable production quality in these Marvel movies mm-hmm. that is starting to really get on my nerves. And yeah. the problem is is that this is a bigger industry issue. It, it's not exclusive to Marvel, but they are some of the main perpetrators because they're putting out the biggest movies with the mm-hmm. most visual effects. And so right. it's obvious to see the problems that come up in their films, but there were just so many shots and so much bad CGI in this movie mm-hmm. that normally I don't like to nitpick at this stuff because there's a lot of different factors as to why something ends up this way. But I have to just say that when you see stuff like this become so common and so reoccurring in a film, it pulls you out of the experience. Mm-hmm. Like you're sitting there and watching it and you're trying to really invest into the story and what they're giving you. And when you see something that just looks not great, it pulls you out of it. And I think that something has to give eventually with just the amount of stuff that we're getting versus the actual quality that ends up on the on the conveyor belt in these movie theaters when we actually <laughs> go to the go to the big screens and see this stuff. But there's just a lot of things that are wrong with just like how these movies are produced and how they're actually given out to us as an audience. And mm-hmm. my biggest fear is 
that in five years or 10 years when I watch this and revisit this, I look at certain moments and I'm like, ooh, that look, that sucks. That yeah. shot, it, it aged poorly because mm-hmm. I, I look back on movies in the 90s or the early 2000s where you can tell things weren't oh, yeah. as sophisticated and it's mm-hmm. like, ooh, that doesn't look great. And I, I don't want these films to end up that way because I do right. want to rewatch them and I want to mm-hmm. enjoy them. But it's not all bad. There's still a tremendous amount of craftsmanship. There's still some technical artistry here that is beautiful yeah. and mm-hmm. gorgeous. There's some stuff with the volume that they implement here. There's another sequence that we'll talk about with gore and the shadow realm and things mm-hmm. of that nature that was in the the trailer there's some really impressive stuff here but o- overall i do find myself just noticing more and more as we continue to talk about a lot of these big budget superhero films and tv series that this is just becoming an increasing problem that i think if it goes too far unchecked it might really yeah damper and and and, and make people's experience watching these things worse than it might already be but ultimately Still had a decent time with it. It's certainly mm-hmm. not the best MCU film by any stretch. And I think it is a significant step down from Thor Ragnarok. There's a lot of stuff that I do like. There's also a good amount of stuff that I'm very much just not on board with. And I mm-hmm. wish that they might have taken a different approach and went in a different direction. But that being said, still a decent time at the movies. And I still mostly had fun. Yeah. I do want to just quickly say, I think it's in a, we're in an interesting time and an interesting year right now that we do these big reviews and they, these typically end up being our most listened to podcasts when we Mm -hmm. specifically focus on like Marvel or DC movies, which is great. Love talking about the stuff. We're big fans, but I would also encourage people in this year, especially that if Thor Ragnarok or Thor love and thunder or whatever the case may be, might not be your speed. If you're looking for something completely different, there's another Viking movie out there. You can go watch the Northman, which is incredible movie. And we reviewed it on this podcast. So if you need an opinion, you can go listen to that. That's a that's a great film about Vikings. It's not like well, it, it kind of is like Space Vikings almost. There's a lot almost. of supernatural it's stuff. Crazy. It almost is. Yeah, yeah it kind of goes there, <laughs> but it's another different type of movie that's, you know, I can't say small budget because it still costs like 75 million, but it's a smaller movie comparatively. Mm-hmm. I would encourage people to talk about this and it's also funny that not only do we have another Viking movie on the opposite side of Marvel, but we earlier this year had another multiverse movie outside of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness with everything everywhere all at once, which is another multiverse type of story. But if again, if you're looking for something different, if your tastes are not being satisfied by these big budget tentpole movies, there are options out there. So I would just encourage people, you know, listen to us because we can give you great recommendations. Do your research. There are other stories being told that deal with this more fantastical stuff. It isn't all just like indie drama art house stuff. You know, sometimes (laughs) it's crazy, wacky, over the top science fiction which you know everything everywhere all at once is exactly that but it's a fantastic movie so i just wanted to throw that out there we don't usually do that but i'm just noticing that there's some there's some interesting parallels happening this year with these big budget marvel movies in addition to the smaller movies that we typically see from more our tour driven directors but Mm -hmm. that being said a lot of thoughts out there a lot of things that we just addressed here but now is the time to officially get into it to dive deep into this film so if you've not seen thor love and thunder this is now your official spoiler warning because we are about to get into all the nitty gritty elements of this movie and talk about every piece and crevice of it from all the main characters and the big moments. So pause this podcast, go watch it, or wait until it comes out on Disney Plus and then come back and revisit this in 45 days. Whatever you may choose, this is your official spoiler warning because we are going to get into it right now. And we, of course, have to start off by talking about Thor Odinson himself, played by Chris Hemsworth, the titular character, 
mainstay in the MCU for yeah. 11 plus years now. Again, it's fourth film, the first character in the MCU to get four solo outings. And so before we get into any of the big moments of the things that happened with him, which we will, of course, do and break down all of the major developments with Thor in this film, I just want to start off and get some general thoughts and impressions about what Chris Hemsworth did in this movie with this character and where he took him and, and the new directions that we explored. So overall, what did you think about Thor in this in this movie? Yeah, man. Usually, you know, I I I just love Chris Hemsworth, to be honest, man. He's good. He's he's again, we talk about those people who are made to play people. And I really do think Chris Hemsworth was was is one of those people that was made to play Thor, man. Um I think no matter what happens in these films and the things you don't like about these films i think it's never chris hemsworth's fault ever um especially coming into getting this movie where we feel like comedy was a little too much he still nailed it any <laughs> when he had when he was supposed to you know what i'm saying like he still the moments that i laughed a lot was still chris hemsworth again his comedic timing is insane i think when it's, it is time to get serious i can see it in his face and his eyes and his acting I can tell it's time to get down to the nitty gritty, but he's so believable all the time, man. Like I, like he wouldn't surprise me if he was if somebody was like, yeah, he's just Thor all the time on set. Not even when the camera's rolling, he's still probably Thor. And in my mind, I'd be like, yeah, he probably is, because that's that's him now to me. Um, and and he does a good job there, man. It's it's also I'm, it's very cool to see him grow. Just what what is this? His ninth movie in the MCU or something crazy? ridiculous like wow this dude has a lot of <laughs> screen time in the mcu but every time i see him i'm never like oh here's thor again in fact i was like damn this nigga been in nine movies you know what i mean like it was it was surprising because because it's refreshing every time i see him and so i think this dude is still doing really really good work here man i mean he he even has tears when he needs to have tears he has I don't know, man. The dude is just good. And I think he goes underrated as an actor because his character is so aloof. You know what I mean? His character is so silly. It's so goofy. Um, but also he's a god. And so sometimes when people are omnipotent, but also silly, it's hard to take them serious as actors. But you need to understand this dude is killing it. Like people need to understand this dude is really doing a good job on all fronts to me anyways. And so I it, coming into this movie um, or, or after watching this movie, I'm like, yeah, man, this dude. We know there's more Thors coming, and I'm 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 not wavering at all from being like uh, saying I'm tired of Chris Hemsworth or anything. I'm like I'm I'm still on board with this guy because he does the work and he does it well, man. Yeah, no, I, I think he's perfect. I think he's perfect casting. Obviously, he was a relative unknown when he initially got this role. He had certainly done stuff, but nobody really knew who Chris Hemsworth was, and we talked a lot about that in our previous. Uh, episode about Thor's journey throughout the MCU mm -hmm. and to just be able to evolve this character and constantly reinvent him and subvert expectations over and over again is yeah. really impressive because I it was about halfway through this entire experiment with Thor that we we started to see the comedic timing and the genius of Chris Hemsworth because those muscles hadn't really been flexed before in many of his movies because this guy is a freak physically like he yeah, is crazy. ridiculously huge like he absolutely fits the bill from a physical standpoint as Thor and this movie he might have been bigger than he ever has been ever. before in his life like his Veins arms like crazy. he has muscles in places I didn't even <laughs> I don't even have places like if we're being honest about it so like the guy is absolutely jacked but beyond that he's much more than that he's not just a physical presence this man is a genuinely great actor and yeah. i think again about halfway through 
this whole experiment, we started to see that comedic timing come throughout his performances because he started to get more opportunities when he was doing different types of films outside of the MCU. He was playing with a little bit more of uh, of a comedic side with himself, and he had done that Ghostbusters movie, which mm-hmm. I think a lot of people sort of saw as a revelation for the type of actor that he could be. And then we talked about those Team Daryl and Team Thor shorts, mm-hmm. which infused a lot of that type of comedy early on before the movie, before Ragnarok ever came out. And people were just looking like, well, wait a second. This is this is an entirely different side to him. And that's just continuing on here. And I think that for the most part, everything he did in this movie, obviously with the direction coming from Taika, it, it's, all, it's all very well done. You know, he's doing yeah. everything he needs to do to make this still a great performance and to still make you buy into the character of Thor and still be invested in his journey. And it's in a very, very different place as well because... As we said at the top, this is this is Thor in a, in a weird situation because he is in a bit of a midlife crisis at this point, and he's dealing with things that he hasn't dealt with before, and he's trying to find his identity and figure out who he's going to be. And I actually found that to be a really valuable perspective on him because we hadn't gotten there yet. He was in a very depressive, low state earlier mm-hmm. in Avengers Endgame and, 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 and after the loss of Infinity War, but now we're seeing him sort of rebound and figure out a way to come back from those, from those problematic times that he was dealing with. And... He has a nice supporting cast around him to propel him forward, but he also has to do a lot of that work himself. And so I was really, really just glad to see that they were taking him in those places and giving him a little bit more and a little bit, uh, uh, some new tools at least to play with, to, to, to make the character even more nuanced and have a little bit more depth than, than what we saw before. And right. that kind of leads into the opening of the movie that we get in which we get after the introduction of Gore the God Butcher, at least, we get some narration from Korg sort of telling the story of Thor <laughs> about his upbringing when he was a youth and how he became the God of Thunder and ultimately where that led us into the introduction of this movie when we see him teaming up with the Guardians and he has this new relationship and he had to go from being overweight and out of shape to getting that God bod back after the events of Avengers Endgame. And that, that places us right directly here. And I think it was a really a really cool opening montage. It, it set the tone nicely to just recap yeah. that journey, like just in case people might have come into this to this whole thing recently. Maybe Ragnarok was one of their first movies that they saw. Maybe they didn't see those first couple of Thor films, mm-hmm. right? And so we even get the moments of, of seeing Loki die and seeing him lose Odin and Frigga. It did all the proper work that it needed to do to catch you up to where Thor was as a character. So I thought it was a great a great introduction for him, even though he's been around for so long. Yeah, man. It was first of all, this dude Korg is hilarious. Taika, I don't it's always cool to see him operating on multiple levels at, at once. Cause it's like, dang, dude, how did you both direct this moment and have Korg have like a monologue <laughs> or something? You know what I mean? Um it's it's really cool uh things that he's doing there. But I also thought it was a, a great intro. Uh it, it did set the tone uh for the film. I love how they used uh, uh, what's his name? What's 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 Thor's not Thor's Chris Hemsworth's son's name? Uh, Tristan. He's Tristan Hemsworth in in that that montage where he's running from tree to tree and growing up. And the first little boy you see is is, is Tristan Hemsworth. Uh, that's still really cool to me. Uh, that both of his kids are in this movie. Ten out of ten <laughs> decision. It makes a lot of sense. But uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I I feel like a lot of MCU movies don't set up like that. It was, but it, I I love that moment because it allowed Korg to later have that moment where he does explain the the Jane Foster, you know, Thor love uh, uh, in between the dark world and Ragnarok, what what happened there. Um, so I love how, like, there was, like, a first part, a second part, and then a third part, like, throughout the film. those I thought those were really cool, actually, and, uh, and decently done. But, uh, uh, man, this, this movie was 
it, I don't know. It just opened with energy. I love how the movie opened with energy. I, I, I mess with that. It, they literally came in and was like, this is the story of Thor. This is what the movie is going to look like. Like they gave us very beautiful visuals in the beginning. You know, the color grading I thought was really, really nice. That first world they were on, you know, I, like it was, I don't even know. Like the background did have like a nice sunsetty look to it that I appreciated. It, 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 it was really good looking, but way to, way to set the tone, Taika. I think he's good at that. He's always been good at that. Even when you watch a movie like a Jojo Rabbit, you're like, what is this movie about? And in the beginning, you're like, oh, that's what this movie is about. So Taika's always kind of been good at like setting the tone of what a film is supposed to be really early. And I think I think he did a pretty decent job here again with the narration that Korg was given. Yeah, and I think there's also enough story there to, to do something like this with Thor. You can't really mm-hmm. do it with a new character that we haven't been with before. You pro- Maybe you could, maybe if you want to just like explore their their upbringing. But it's, it, it works even better because we've been along with Thor on this journey, so we've yeah, seen these things. True. And so you get you get the funny dialogue from Korg where he's like, yeah, and his brother died, and then he died again, and, and then, then he again. died again. <laughs> and then when he's, when he's even talking about the Warriors 3, and they, they all die in Ragnarok, mm-hmm. and he's like, oh yeah, and that guy, and then that guy, and whoever <laughs> that is. And it, it's, it's, it's a callback, and it's a nice, funny moment, because I know a lot of people were upset when the Warriors 3 died in Ragnarok, because sure. it's like, how could you dispel with them so quickly when they were such an important part to the first two movies? and that sort of just speaks to just like where Taika was taking this character and where mm-hmm. he wanted to go because one of the problems in in re-watching those films that I think existed in the first Thor and in Thor the Dark World is that for large chunks of it Thor is not the focal point there's a lot of other mm-hmm. things happening that take yeah. away the shine and the limelight from him mostly Loki Loki really That's became true. the superstar in those movies and so by the time you get to Thor Ragnarok, you see Loki is like a whipping boy. He's like a dummy that gets thrown <laughs> around and tossed all over the place and they're doing get help. He becomes a punching bag <laughs> because help. I think Taika made a very conscious decision to place the focus on Thor and really make Chris Hemsworth the star. And I think mm-hmm. ultimately in hindsight, it was a it was a good decision because we wouldn't be where we are now if they hadn't made that that choice and that change. But it's also just a nice way to play with, you know, what the audience had once saw and sort of use it as a way to, you know, set up again the comedy that's here and also retell that story. But I thought it was a I thought it was a mostly effective way to, 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 to reintroduce them to this world. But mm-hmm. we do start off in that opening world, like you said, and Thor is with the Guardians of the Galaxy. We suspected that this was, that this was going to be the case. The last time we saw them, they were together at the end of Avengers Endgame game now he's back in back in shape he's absolutely jacked he has a sleeveless ravager jacket and he's wearing like this this tank top that has like a graphic of the bifrost on it Mm. really 80s rock stuff and they need thor's help to win this battle which is literally what star lord says to him after he's meditating you have that moment where thor gets on stormbreaker and rides away like he's the wicked witch of the west what the heck (laughs) <laughs> so crazy um and then he takes out this group of like owl people they're like owl like people on this world that, that have taken over this palace mm. and i thought that this was a great great action scene i thought this was really fun yeah. you get welcome to the jungle the first guns and roses song in this movie blaring over the speakers i thought it was a great way to set up just again how powerful he is we always talk mm-hmm. about the power of thor and how strong he is and it's even funnier because in the moment of his power, you also see like how low key weak the Guardians are comparatively. Yeah. Like they can't handle these people. They need <laughs> his help. And he's the ace in the hole. He's mm-hmm. the big gun that they go to get when they when they're a little bit overwhelmed here. But I thought visually there were a lot of cool things happening. Cause even off of this world, there were other like space battles. There was that one scene where they were in the water and Thor's just like sitting there, staring away, daydreaming, mm-hmm. not helping at all. So <laughs> he he doesn't give a fuck unless they really need him, which is which is funny. But I, I just love what they did with him in this scene and just 
again, remind us of how powerful this character is because he's throwing Stormbreaker everywhere. He's doing crazy stuff, really over the top, campy things. But I think it all all was pretty effective in, in just, you know, again, displaying his power and how strong he is. Yeah, man. The dude stops like two alien racers by doing the splits <laughs> like stopping them with his feet i was like what am i watching dude like jean claude van damme Jean-Claude type splits. van damme i mean this dude was really going insane but i love that power dynamic though that you're talking about I, he's like oh, i'm just waiting for somebody to say thor we need you and he's like thor we need you in this fight he's like okay stormbreaker come on and then he rides away like you said like a freaking wicked witch of the west but i i i really like that because the you know it's like the guardians are very much none of them are gods you know what i'm saying and they have this god at their disposal it's like thor dude what are you doing but i love the i love that the the guardians understand that they're a family and that thor is like this distant cousin and that's how thor but that's more so how thor feels though thor's like i don't really belong here with you guys like y'all have a family and i feel like i'm intruding on that family but but that also comes with that power dynamic he's like i can't relate to y'all either and, and you know later in the film he i feel like when he's around uh, uh when he is around um valkyrie he feels a little different than he w- is when he's with the guardians he's like oh no i feel like i'm, I'm at home when i'm with her she's as guardian but when i'm with the guardians it's like it's cool being here you guys are cool but i don't belong here so i think that's that's very interesting too but it's a, I, I i really did love that opening scene it is Again, it sets the tone, man. It's like, Guardians, y'all cool, but I got this. And Stormbreaker's going all over the place, and he's really fucking shit up, man. Um, And, and we get uh, at least a couple good silly moments. At least, you know, because at the beginning, it works, right? At the beginning, you're like, man, this stuff is funny. Like, this is where we're starting, and I appreciated it. So, um, and again, that world was just... Uh, the color was the colors were like ooh, what is this like what is this world and i feel like i hadn't seen a lot of that out of the mcu again except for like a ragnarok look like that guardians tends to look like that but it, it was good again here seeing like them just decide to make things beautiful and that that, that world was very beautiful for me and i like that yeah i know that that particular sequence they shot on the volume using ilm's stagecraft technology to to construct and build this world and build that background and to make mm-hmm. it look real so i think on the day when they were filming these scenes like the actors actually could play with this and we, we know that that technology has been heavily utilized in the mandalorian yeah. which is very much more a stationary show where characters are just like walking and talking mm-hmm. like it's it's a little bit easier to pull off there but this this still worked i think in a, in a great way it looked gorgeous the colors were the the, the, the sunsets as you said the hues of oranges and purples mm-hmm. like it was a very distinctive look and 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 pleasant as well let's talk a little bit about the guardians because again we were expecting them to be here so it was no surprise but not in the movie at at really at all i think mm-hmm. i think also another expectation that we had that they weren't going to be a major factor in this film especially once we saw the runtime and it was like under two hours it's like there's no way they can spend that much time on them i will say that though i knew that coming into it i was still a little bit disappointed by just how they were utilized only because I think I really missed the writing of James Gunn because he's the guy that really knows how to write those characters. And we saw they were in Infinity War and Endgame and the Russos and Marcus and McFeely had had a hand at at interpreting those characters. But I know that they also like worked with James Gunn and got notes and feedback. Mm -hmm. He might have done the same here, but there was I mean, there was really no dialogue outside of Star-Lord from any of the characters. Like there was a little bit from Rocket Drax had like one line, Mantis made a silly face, Nebula screamed as she always does. <laughs> there just wasn't 
a lot of opportunity in, in moments where we could see just like the, the character dynamics between that group right now. And this is not a Guardians movie. We're going to get that next year. I, I understand that. But I feel like there, there just could have been a little bit more because the magic that we saw out of Thor and Star-Lord and Infinity War, mm-hmm. I was like, I just want more of that stuff. I want exactly. more of that, more of that character build, building, more of their their goofy relationship that they have with each other. The fact that like they work together and they're both like fighting for leadership, but they can't really acknowledge <laughs> it. And they have to just like talk around certain issues. There was a little moment, you know, he's practicing this weird handshake and Star-Lord's <laughs> just like brushing him off. They had little moments like that, but I think that a little bit more effective writing from even some of the other characters that were there could have could have helped elevate the scene a little bit more. Yeah, just you're right, just a little bit more, man. Even like not even a lot. Give me five more minutes with with, with the whole team just uh, uh, just doing anything. Like, cause like you said, it's like they purposely were like, okay, you get one thing, you get one thing, you get one thing. You know what I mean? It was like Mantis, try this whistle. And it was like I don't know, and we just kept going from character to character. Nebula was like, I'm gonna kill these llamas, and then. Yeah, are these goats and then yeah i don't know it's just real quick character moments i will say craglin that shit was hilarious bro um like craglin you can't keep marrying women on every planet i thought that was really funny that was it's funny that it's also like one of the more drawn out parts it's like why does he get the scene that the, <laughs> that's more drawn out um but I, I thought it was funny but like you said man i, I wish we just got a little bit more for, of, of a send-off because maybe i part of me feels like taika didn't want to touch the characters out of respect for James Gunn a little bit. You know what I mean? When he was like, mm, these ain't mine. James, I understand that. Let's, I got you on a couple lines, but let's get out of here because I know I, I don't want to do too much. And that's what it felt like a little bit. Um, but man, the the moments with Star-Lord and, and Thor are just gold. It is what it is. And so it's easy for us to crave more, man. Even the, the hands, regular handshake, Asgardian handshake, uh, and the snake that you can't trust. Which is a hilarious callback because freaking Loki was the snake that he couldn't trust him. I don't know, like this that that's just good stuff when when it's them two. And so I also was like, damn, you can't have five more minutes. Like you're leaving already. Like I felt like a little kid. That <laughs> was like, damn, this is over already. Um, but yeah, I I, I definitely agree there. I, I wish we had more. Yeah, there was another character also in this movie that returned who was not in Thor Ragnarok, and that was Jamie Alexander as Lady Sif. And I just want to cover her quickly because of her relationship with Thor. So we know that she was a a more prominent character featured in the first Thor and in Thor The Dark World. Ultimately was not included in Ragnarok, so she was still alive. We did see her last year in Loki, though. Um, She had a nice cameo appearance there, which Mm -hmm. I thought was really, really a really cool appearance from her and she's also been in like several episodes of agents of shield which is not really canon but still st- stuff that she's done with marvel but she pops up briefly here because thor sees that there is some maniac going around murdering gods and she ends up being uh almost a casualty she doesn't die but she ends up losing her arm when thor goes to seek her out that's what separates him from the guardians and we get a little bit of a moment from her where she's explaining to thor who this guy is and what he's doing and he eventually is going to come after asgard and then we don't really see her again until the end of the movie when she's training again with Axel um, and she's lost her arm at this point. I just got to say that I don't I don't I don't know if Jamie Alexander really needed to be in this movie. I, mm-hmm. I guess the function that she serves is, is that familiar face like that's what's going to make Thor want to seek somebody out if they see them in peril and danger. That's yeah. that that's that family that he has that he would want to leave the Guardians and actually depart from that team to go seek out what's happening and that leads us down the story. But I, I don't know. I almost feel like they still could have achieved it because 
Listen, Lady Sif in the comics had much, much bigger, bigger roles and, Way and, and more a lot do. more to do, like a very, very important character in the Thor comic books. And this is different. This is obviously adaptations and, and, and taking things into the film medium. But I just largely feel like she didn't really need to be here. And that's no fault of hers. You know, I'm, I'm sure she's always glad to come back and do the role. But you would just you would just kind of hope for more. And I think on a bigger scale, you know, I'm sort of speaking to this in terms of like a bigger theme and thing that is wrapped up in the experience of this movie is that there's a lot in it. There are so mm-hmm. many things in this movie, but because it's only an hour and 59 minutes, there's just not a lot of time to spend with all of those different elements. We can't spend five minutes with the guardians. We can't spend five or six minutes with lady Sif. We can't even spend five or six minutes really with like Valkyrie and getting a lot of additional character development with her. Mm-hmm. Although we should, we should get those things. Like we yeah. shouldn't have to sacrifice that stuff for the sake of whatever else you're trying to accomplish in this movie. And so I think largely that's that's one of the big problems that continue to persist is that I would see a lot of these characters, a lot of familiar faces or a lot of cameo appearances. And I'm just like, well, you didn't really need to be here. Like, what function did you actually serve? Yeah, I, man, I think, I, I agree because I think there's, I'm of, I'm of two minds, but only because it goes two different ways. It's like, for, for this movie and what we got with Sif, it's, it's like, don't use her or use her more. And and I was just left like, well, freaking spend time on Lady Sif. Like this is a huge character in the comics. She's like Heimdall's sister or something, which yeah. they, we never really talk about. But in this movie, I think you know I, I I talked about in the in the non spoiler part that one of the biggest things for me was we didn't get enough gore. I think or I see him killing enough gods. And in my mind, let's give us that moment. Of Sif on that planet fighting Gore, you know. Let's spend show 15, us. let's spend fifteen minutes with that. Show us, because Lady Sif, in, in my mind, them deciding also to not kill her in that moment is huge to me. It's like that means she's going to pop up somewhere else. So why not do the the, you know, I don't know, the right thing by using Lady Sif in in longer sequences to make her more of a concrete character. Like I don't know, she just feels very very underutilized and i don't know they just they they let her go too much man I, 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 and part of me feels like they didn't want too much estrogen in the movie <laughs> you know what i'm saying like are they like oh natalie portman's here tessa thompson's here we can't spend too much time on jamie alexander because i don't know we're just not ready for her yet but in my mind i'm like you're using her so use her more or don't use her at all. In 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 Ragnarok, it was I think it was a scheduling conflict or something. Why she wasn't in that movie? Yeah. But at least like we knew that. You know what I'm saying? At least like they didn't underutilize her because she wasn't used at all. And so it's like here, I don't know. It feels like a disservice to her character a little bit because, like you said, she's just bigger in the comics. And then this is like she's being used as a vehicle for for Thor to be angry and to get somewhere more than she be, she's being used as a character who has an arc or a plot or any of that. And so, yeah, it's like either don't use her or use her more. And so I, I feel like using her more would have not only given Lady Sif uh, a little more to do in this film, which I think will be beneficial because she's still in the MCU, uh, but it also would have helped some of the things I thought about Gore in this film. It's like give, give us a scene of him killing more gods. And he could have cut off Sif's arm. And we would have seen that. And uh, yeah, I feel like we could have used a, a nice 15-minute sequence of, of of kind of that stuff happening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the other big things that happened with Thor in this movie is this weird love triangle, I guess, that develops between... <laughs> 
him and Stormbreaker and Mjolnir. So, of yeah. course, Jane Foster gets Mjolnir in this movie, and she's now deemed worthy. She becomes Mighty Thor. And one of the most unexpected aspects that I just did not see coming at all, because they never teased this, is that these weapons would have a real personality and actually have feelings and develop <laughs> jealousy and 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 want attention from from their holders from the from their possessors and yeah. we see stormbreaker here get very offended at thor and literally <laughs> become like that meme of that guy walking down the street with his girlfriend and he looks oh, and yeah. sees the hot chick mm-hmm. <laughs> it's that that that's what they turn I, honestly i think a lot of this movie is kind of like memes and gifts that that's have come true. out the past years mm-hmm. um because tooth grinder and tooth nash are definitely are pulled from like a meme but that that was that was a really goofy thing that you know it was a choice mm-hmm. it worked for me at some moments it didn't always work sometimes i'm like okay are we doing this again like this running gag uh but i have to say that it was a bit of a surprise to see like stormbreaker just like ease into the screen occasionally <laughs> anytime anytime thor's attention would be diverted just a little bit anytime he would just stare at mjolnir or try to call mjolnir or even when he was playing playing with thunderbolt for that little minute yeah. like stormbreaker was clapping back like wait a second now what did you just say <laughs> what did you I, I just i heard that um so it was interesting and i think a new way to sort of breathe life into these weapons and i do want to talk about the weapons more in depth when we talk about zeus but Overall, unexpected worked for me mostly. Yeah. Sometimes I think it drug on a little bit much, but I thought it was a, a nice, cool gag that they would play around with. Yeah, it worked for me at first. Like the first time when he's a new Asgard, Jane has Molnir in her hand and he's like trying to pull it. And, and then Stonebreaker comes around the corner. I was like, okay, this is hilarious. That's pretty funny. But the moment where he's like pouring beer on Stormbreaker, like, here's your first beer, I was like, okay, now. What are we really doing here? Like, what yeah. is what is going on? But uh, it, yeah, like mostly worked for me. But that moment, I was like, mm, "You're doing too much, Psycho. Like, reel it back in. You didn't have to. You didn't have to have that moment. I would have been okay with that. Oh, it would have been nice to use those two minutes on Lady Sif. No, it was, <laughs> but I, it just I don't know. It was it was, it was really weird. Um, because like I said, I I, I even like the second moment. Like you said, he's playing with, he's playing with the thunderbolt, and then it's like. Okay, never mind. This is your weapon. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do this to you. Um, I actually, I actually really like the moment when he's trying to talk to Molnir and Jane pop rolls up. I actually like that moment too because it's like the wilder of Molnir now, um, and it's it's like the idea that I don't know Molnir called to her, and it also yeah I don't know. I just I like that moment too, but didn't work all the time. So funny. Other times, not so much. I just want to take a quick moment, too, to just shout out the costume and props department. Like, from that perspective, I think a lot of the stuff in this movie works. Like, Thor has multiple different costumes. When yeah. we see him finally get the Thor costume back, it's it's definitely, like, more Viking-esque, and it has, like, the fur on it. And then we also see the more colorful version that he mm-hmm. that he brings to life when he's back in New Asgard fighting um, fighting Gore's minions. There were a lot of different costumes and a lot of different things that they play with. Obviously, the stuff in Omnipotent City, I thought, looked really, really impressive. And then, of course, Jane Foster's costume was gorgeous. Like, I thought that they did tremendous work with just the look of that. And then, again, these props, just like all that stuff that helps breathe life into the movie and build out that world. That stuff is just really cool. But speaking of Jane Foster, let's go ahead and move on and talk about her. She's the other big, big character in this film, as we've already alluded to many, many times in this podcast. Natalie Portman making her return to the MCU, which is very unexpected, I think, for a lot of people, considering how she left this this particular franchise. So for folks who don't know, back on 
on Thor The Dark World, the second film in that franchise. Natalie Portman was very much responsible for getting Patty Jenkins hired on that film. Patty Jenkins would go on to direct Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman 84 and a couple of other films, but she wanted Patty Jenkins on that movie. She was going to be the first director, first female director for for a superhero movie before she did Wonder Woman, before we knew that that was even going to happen. And then unceremoniously, Patty Jenkins got fired from that movie, and that pissed Natalie Portman off. I think it pissed her off a lot, uh, so mm-hmm. much so that she ended up leaving the franchise. Um, she she really only stuck around for Thor The Dark World because she got Patty Jenkins hired. I don't think she was interested in coming back for that film, but she thought that somebody that she really wanted to work with would be at the helm of that film. We know that that did not happen. Alan Taylor ultimately directed that film, and so Natalie Portman was out. She was pretty much done. We did see her pop up again in Avengers Endgame, to the surprise yeah. of everybody, because they did not tease out that she would be in that movie. That was another surprise cameo that they had leading to the speculation about her return to this franchise which was ultimately confirmed as we as we alluded to earlier and so she's in this film in her full glory and i gotta say i thought that most of the stuff here with her worked a lot of stuff here worked and i'm very happy to say that because the jane foster element of this film could have gone tremendously wrong and taika waititi was also given like full creative freedom in terms of how he wanted to bring jane back and the fact that he leaned into the comics Leaning into that 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 storyline of her becoming the Mighty Thor because of the cancer is a very smart decision, I think, because it actually adds that element of pathos in this movie that it so desperately needs, if we're being mm-hmm. honest. There has to be stakes. There has to be something on the line. And I thought just bringing in that storyline, of course, adapting it and changing a few things here and there. I thought all of that stuff was really, really effective, and Natalie Portman, the way she brought it, was was really, really admirable because she got a chance to do more here. She could flex different muscles. She could be dramatic. She could be comedic. She could be yeah. awkward if she needed to, and then, of course, be romantic because this is a large part of this is a love story, but overall, what were your thoughts about Natalie Portman and what she brought into this particular film? I think they finally did right by her, man. They finally did right by Jane Foster. They finally did right by Natalie Portman. In a lot of those previous films, Natalie Portman's on screen, but she doesn't feel like Natalie Portman. Does that make sense? Like, Natalie Portman is, this is the girl who outacted the whole cast and Leon the Professional at 12. You know what I'm saying? Like, this like this is, be for, be, like, this is Natalie Portman. Like, where are these acting chops? And they finally kind of give it to her in this film. Like you said, they give her all these different dynamics of, of the, the actress that she really is. Um... And so, you know, they, they, they give her, finally give her these moments where it's her and Darcy talking in the hospital. You know what I'm saying? They give her these moments where it's like, I have to figure this out. Like, I'm dying, my nigga. Like, I, I have, like, this, this is very sad for me, but I'm, I'm also a, a very, a, a character. She's very strong willed. They're showing us, I don't know who, they're showing us who Jane was without Thor and that's why I think I love that moment too where Darcy's like you sure you don't want to do the space viking thing and she's like no I got this and in my mind it's also a a a, a nod to the writing too they're like no I got this I don't need Thor I'm my own person and so I, I really fuck with that moment but man she finally got a chance to do like Jane Foster is this like kind of quirky girl who's trying to figure out her catchphrase you know what I'm saying that's Thor and it's like Yes, that's who she is. Give us that stuff. And we finally get to see that. Um, and, and like you said, they finally, they add a lot of pathos with her dying. It, it helps Thor's character a lot, I think, in this film. You know, you said Taika was trying to make a movie of somebody having a midlife crisis where this dude has lost everything except his ex. But now his ex is dying. Holy shit. And this, it, 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 I don't know, it just adds another layer up to what what is really happening here you know really this entire 
MCU arc, phase four is all about loss. Like, how does loss work and what does that look like? And I think Natalie Portman was able to embody that in what Jane Foster was. There's a reason the Molnir she has is broken <laughs> because she is also broken in a lot of different ways. But it also allows her to become stronger in these moments as Jane Foster dr jane foster the woman who was dying at the same time you know and so i don't know it was just it, it like you said it worked it was like where was this in the in the previous movies um and again i had skepticism even though i was looking forward to it i was like okay i, I hope they do right by, by jane in this movie i was still skeptical because of the things we had seen previously but man i was i was pleasantly uh pleasantly surprised i was really happy to see the work they did here with her and natalie portman got jacked for this too I was like, I, and it was funny, the second time we watched it, I, I I was looking at it on purpose, the moment where she she is doing chemotherapy. I was like, hmm, do they show her arms in this part? Or, and, and then you, and even before she she gets Molnir, she they purposely put a jacket on her and stuff like that. And I was like, man. But then when you see her catch Molnir for that first time in New Asgard, you're like, this woman got jacked for this too. You know, that she got a little tone for this too. And I, I, I love that she put in that work. But she's Natalie Portman, of course. She's going to put in the work for that. But... They actually allowed her to shine and be her own character and service the story in a way that it needed to be serviced. So I agree completely. It it, it worked for me. And I, I was really proud of them um, for what they did. And her costume looked amazing. Great. Amazing. 10 out of 10. Like, she looks good. Not only with, of course, when, she's, when she becomes Thor, her hair is, like, all luscious and luxurious and stuff. But when she, when she puts her helmet on, I was like, no, that looks good. Like, her helmet looked really good. And so I was, I was proud of, like you said, the costumes. They were doing an exceptional job. And I think an accident, even here, what, what Natalie Portman did as Jane Foster. Yeah, I, I do think the costume look good. I will say the the CGI helmets aren't working for me in the MCU. I don't I don't really like those. They they've they've leaned on CGI helmets for some years now, especially with like Iron Man and Spider Man. Mm -hmm. They work with those characters. Like Spider Man actually wears a suit. Like Tom Holland is actually oh, in yeah, that suit. real that thing. Yeah, yeah, like a real suit. And then they do like some CGI work where they mm -hmm. need to insert it in. Iron Man's costume eventually just became fully CG, which mostly works because it feels more technological. But then these CGI helmets that they utilize mm -hmm. always feels weird. So the CGI helmet that she had on at several moments, Thor even had one at one point. Like you can just tell it's not real, and that yeah. that, that kind of pulled me out of it. But the rest of the costume, though, again looked Maybe tremendous. Maybe she's and walking she, like an omnipotent city. I think that's a real helmet. I don't think so. I think no. I think it's really fake. Like it, the, if you look at her eyes, the way I that her eyes it. sit on the costume or yeah. on the helmet, it just doesn't look right. Because it, it's also it's also the automatic. She never puts it oh, on. Oh yeah, she's true. never actually yeah. grabbing something to puts it on. It just comes over her face, and so mm -hmm. um, it's it's just stuff like that where you just notice it, and that's mm -hmm. kind of the CGI that that, that that takes me out of it. But that being said, it's it's a small thing. I do think the rest of her looked great, and she was in tremendous shape. She she looked. Her arms were obviously bigger. You know, she did a lot of work to to really commit mm -hmm. to the physicality of this performance. But the cancer element is a really, really big piece of it, too, because, again, that is pulling directly from the comics. And cancer is obviously no laughing matter. That's some serious shit, which Real has shit. affected a lot of people. I think most people can relate to it in some respect, whether they have had it, know somebody that's had it or know of somebody in their circle, in their world that's been affected by it and maybe has lost somebody by it. And so the fact that that, that that mature element was brought into this world was also very welcome because in a movie that is largely geared towards families and, and appeasing families, I think having something like that for Jane as a character was really important, but even more important that she did end up dying at the end of this movie. You know, that that was something that they actually did not shy away from because 
One of my fears was that she was just going to come out of this scot-free and be a-okay, which, yes, would have been a happier ending, but the fact that she does actually perish because wielding Mjolnir makes her sicker. You know, it drains it drains all of her power and her ability to actually fight the cancer that she has. I thought that making the choice to, to, to kill her off in the end, sad, obviously, especially for Thor, who had reconnected with the love of his life after after being away for so long, but I think it made, made total sense, and I just like that they sort of Stuck the landing there because mm-hmm. with a movie that has a hundred jokes a minute that that's always leaning on the humor, the fact that they didn't just like take the cancer and make it into something less serious or less important, or the mm-hmm. fact that it was slowly deteriorating her, and you also had the moment where Thor, towards the end of the movie, is you know he's telling her like if you pick up that hammer again, you're not gonna survive, and I love you, and I I, I want to figure out how we can fight this. Like mm-hmm. if the movie took that moment out it would it would be much worse off i think having that moment and having that conversation even between those two just reintroduced the stakes that were at play and reintroduced how serious this all was now how we got there a little bit rocky absolutely but Mm -hmm. that 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 element of cancer and just like that being a driving force for her character and then still having the agency to make the choice for herself and say like i want to go on an adventure i want to fight i don't want to just let this consume me I think also sends a great message. Not everybody can necessarily live that way, so it right. might be unrealistic, but I think it, it it sends a little bit more of an aspirational thought to how people might perceive this and how they can possibly approach something like that when they're dealing with something that is so serious and can be so fatal. Yeah, man. It's, uh, it's again, you, you pretty much already said it, man. In a movie that's so serious, that's the one thing, or it's so unserious at times. That's the one, one of the things that's like, okay, no, this woman has real cancer and this is the 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 effects of that i know a lot of people were like confused by like how she was still dying with with molnir even you know so uh but you know once i I think people understand now hopefully that it just made the cancer worse (laughs) just like every every cell in her body got stronger it also in enhanced the tumor in her body and made that stronger too which made her die faster um and so it's it's I, I love, like you said, how they went through with it. I was like, I didn't, uh, w- we, I didn't see it coming at first in the beginning of the movie. I was like, okay, she's good, you know what I mean. But we talked about it, um, and it's that moment where they're they're in the hospital or she's in the hospital bed, and you and he's like, you better not leave, or you're gonna die again. As soon as he leaves, I'm like, yep, she's gonna pop up wherever this dude's about to pop up. Um, and, and we were ready for it, and they they eventually go through with it, and it, it's very. It's very satisfying for me, though, to know that there are still parts of this of of Marvel that are where the stakes are high, man. People need to die. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like they people need to know that the, these things are real and, and we see it every now and then. But there's not a lot of Marvel movies where people are just out here dying either like that. You know what I mean? It's a lot of times to save the world. Everybody's OK type thing. And so I'm glad to see that wasn't the case here and that it was it was a very real situation for them and a very real situation for for her because her story was more about than just romantic love. Right. She she's the one that looks at um, Gore and is like, she, your daughter won't be alone. You know what I mean? Like she's not going to be alone because of 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 what Thor is going through. What her and Thor is going through allows that the rest of that to kind of be cemented in what the end looks like it's like no this is something completely different than just the lo- the love that me and thor share thor will love her because he loved me in a, in a specific way you know what i mean i don't know i thought it was really well done in, in in terms of that being being able to to have something concrete there so good job um with with really all the cancer stuff i think they they did pretty good 
Yeah, I, also, I, I really like the fact, too, that they brought Kat Dennings back as Darcy, and we also had Stellan Skarsgård back as Dr. El- Eric Selvig. You know, we haven't seen him really in a movie since Thor, or Avengers Age of Ultron, I should say. So these people that are closely connected to her as well in this mm-hmm. time of need, like it made sense to have those back here. So they weren't in the movie for, you know, really at all, but it was nice to see them here present. We should also talk about just the relationship with Thor and Jane in this movie and how much that drives forward the narrative and we get the moment of when she actually is on the battlefield in New Asgard and Thor sees her for the first time and you got that goofy moment when he has the silly helmet on. He's like, Jane? And then we cut <laughs> to the the montage of when they were actually a couple and when they were dating and this is where Korg comes back in and, and does further narration and there's that really cool needle drive you have Abba playing in the background I think a very very poignant song for for what they were trying to tell here but I also really really liked that moment that mm-hmm. was that was so needed because again often in those first two movies where Natalie Portman was playing opposite of Chris Hemsworth we just didn't get much opportunity to see them be a couple like they mm-hmm. were always trying to solve shit and figure stuff out and right. dealing with gods and monsters and infinity stones and ethers and all of this just weird wacky comic mm-hmm. book stuff but we couldn't see them actually be a couple. We never got that. And we know that they were a couple at least up until Avengers Age of Ultron because he even referenced her in that movie. It wasn't until around the time of Thor Ragnarok when they were broken up. So this montage and just seeing them go to parties and have movie nights and cook mm-hmm. together and just enjoy each other and have dinner, very, very nice. But then slowly but surely you see it devolve over time and how they grew apart and why they grew apart because yeah. we also never got a true explanation for that either. So again, that that whole framing device of having Korg narrate this made all the sense in the world and also just the ability to see it and for us to see those moments and to see the love that was once there which Mm -hmm. was ultimately sort of lost and lessened over time I think also another very effective moment yeah man it's like the movie's called Love and Thunder like give us some love and they did you know that I think they did a good job of 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 telling that story man because uh again a lot of times I think about Okay, but what did they do in 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 Thor and Thor: The Dark World? And I, I, one of my favorite moments, actually, that can that was was their relationship was something had happened. Oh, Thor had brought back her book from that Shield camp in New Mexico, and there was like that little moment where he's like explaining to her how his dad protected the nine realms and and things like that, and they're drawing, and she falls asleep, and like I was like, oh, that's I like that moment because that's like a cute. That's what a I don't know, a love movie, you know, a rom-com is supposed to have, like, little moments like that. And I feel like it it, it was even height, even more so heightened here. It was like, okay, what does their relationship look like? And Cork is like, she he taught her how to be a warrior. And he was like, she taught him how to be a person and things like that, you know? Um, and I, I, I love that dynamic because we never really get to explore that. It's just space biking things usually you know is what we got like you said all that 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 razzle frazzle is is what we usually get and so we we finally get these again rom-commy feeling moments where there is the happy but then it's like okay why do we break up that's why we broke up wow and and even in the beginning of the the film he, he uh even before we get that moment he's like or oh, break up with you with by a letter and i was like wait what Breaking with you by a letter, but then Korg tells the story later and how we got to the letter. I was like, oh, that's a good callback because I had no idea what you were talking about at first. Now that's what we're talking about. And so I, I love seeing that moment too. Um, again, I, I, the, the beginning, middle, end of Korg telling stories I thought was really cool. Um, but it, it also did remind me of kind of kind of those uh, uh, those, those Team Daryl, <laughs> you know, um, flashbacks that Taika got us because it's like, okay, this is 
that style, you know what I mean, of storytelling of what it's supposed to look like. So, again, just I was ha- pretty happy with those moments, too. Yeah, it reminds you of a of a rom com too. You know, you you kind of get those sequences in rom coms. Like if you if you have a situation where two people were together and then they break up and now they all of a sudden end up in the the most precarious circumstances. How did we end up back in the same place together? And you get that <laughs> moment that goes back and recounts their history. Just you know, again, another trope that was effectively utilized. And also, I just love the fact that. You know, in relationships, we I think we deal with this in real life, too. Like, people remember things differently. You know, Thor yeah. remembers it in a very specific way, but she mm-hmm. remembers it in a different way. And those two things are rarely aligned, and you get some of those moments. And even when they're catching up outside of the town hall, you kind of get Thor, who's very much very much more affected i think by their breakup she probably was too but you can you can see like he's counting the days and the and the months you know we saw that moment in the trailer where he's like it's been eight years and seven months and six days she thought it was only three or four right so we see that this this really hurt him and i think they they illuminated illuminated that really well now i don't know if you notice this in that moment though like when they were talking outside of the town town hall out after the battle against gore and his shadow minions or whatever they're called something was off with the with the i don't know what it was the lighting or it might have been the seat something was Mm -hmm. off on their face like when they were catching up in that moment i don't know if anybody else noticed this but it was really bothering me like as they were speaking it just looked weird like thor's face was way too smooth like i don't know if they did like some skin smoothing to his face and to her face but something just felt off the lighting was off i it almost honestly if i'm being if i'm being real it almost felt like in that particular scene, they might have had on real helmets and they didn't shoot it without real helmets. And so in mm. post, they were like, we have to remove the helmets. We want to see their faces in this moment because this is like the first time they're really having a conversation. Mm-hmm. And so they had to like digitally etch in some pieces of their face. Because if you look right underneath his eyes in that in that particular scene, mm. it's way too smooth. And in the very next scene, when they're in the town hall, right. you see the more natural look of him, mm. like the pores and some of the wrinkles that develop. I don't know. Yeah nitpick yes but it was just something that again you know when i'm talking about just like the look and the production quality of these things it 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 tends to be a little bit unbalanced at times like there are moments where it's great that we've obviously acknowledged and then there's other moments where it doesn't look as well but that that's something i'll have to go back and see like if there's an explanation for that or why it might have looked a little bit lesser than some of those other shots yeah even outside of that it's probably my least favorite set piece i think in the movie um, I think when I think about every other set piece, I think I like the look of it more, or and I like the way it looks. It's something about it, man. Something about that new Asgard nighttime sound stage. I don't know what it is. It's just something about it. I'm like, mm, this is okay, and I like things happening, but the way it looks is like, dang, I'm just not on the side of this completely. I think there there's a couple cool things in there that that gore had going on you like disappears and pops back up <laughs> in certain parts but other than that man i don't know what it is about that city but i was just like eh this is not my favorite thing that's happening and i feel like they could have i don't know maybe it was cuz it's dark at that time but it was supposed to be nighttime everybody's supposed to be asleep but i feel like there was just a better way that it it, it could have been done i have no idea how else to explain that uh but it i wish there was just something else i don't know a different part of new asgard for them to be in or something i don't know it was just okay for me though yeah no i agree with you i think out of all the big set pieces that is the least interesting one it's not mm-hmm. it's not shot in a really creative way it's a very standard way of shooting something like you said yeah. it's, it's at nighttime which is you know fine that's fine but yeah. it it's not lit the greatest it's mostly lit by like surrounding fires and and i actually found that to be surprising that it ended up being my least favorite action set piece because they actually built 
new Asgard. They built that as a real set. Yeah. This is not mm-hmm. like a blue screen or a sound stage. Like they actually went to Australia and put this all together and built these shops and these buildings and these mm-hmm. homes and bedrooms and these city streets. And and it just doesn't look all that well. I think I think it might have something to do with just the way it was shot. Like you said, something just wasn't clicking entirely. Um, but to, to go back to, to, to Jane Foster, I think I just want to spend briefly some time on how she got these powers as well because we see that she is not wanting to lean on Asgardian magic when she's having that conversation with Darcy and Darcy's telling her like, you have a, you have a card you can pull. Like there might be something there. And she's, you know, sort of performing tests in her lab and she comes across that Asgardian book and she finds out Mjolnir might have something for her. It might Mm -hmm. be able to, might be able to do something for her in terms of her health. And she goes and seeks it out in new Asgard. And, one, I will say that I love the display of her powers throughout the movie. I thought that the way that they mm. visually represented how she was wielding Mjolnir, how she was throwing it. You talked about the fact that it was broken and it comes back together. You have those moments where she throws Mjolnir and it splits apart, yeah. takes out people, and then it comes back together in one piece. Loved all of that stuff. I do wish that we had a moment, just a brief moment. doesn't have to be long. It could have been like 30 seconds to where we actually see that transformation happened. Like her go from sort of a cancer ridden person to actually becoming Mjolnir like fully in person. And it's funny because they shot that there was like some behind the scenes stuff that leaked online where they shot a sequence of her transforming and you can see like her body sort of palpitating and she's like shaking and you see all of that stuff. And I'm like, damn, I really wish we could have kind of saw that. I don't know why Mm -hmm. they removed it. Maybe it just didn't work when they, when they actually filmed it. But that was the one piece of it I was missing. Cause then I was also wondering, well, how, how did she get so good, good with Mjolnir? She's just like instantly throwing this bitch like yeah. anywhere automatically. Mm-hmm. Like she's been using it for for years. And I don't know. We, we we can't necessarily debate about the mechanics of Mjolnir and whether or not somebody has to train or get better with it over time. But that was that was a piece of that I felt like could have been a little bit more. Again, sort of adding to that moment, adding to just the the whole transition that she made as a character through the through the movie. Yeah, it seemed like to me they Taika liked the moment better where you just hear Monir and he's like, what the hell? Is that what I think it is? You know, um, that, that one thing that did get me, like the, you know, that you're saying is that time that was clearly skipped, right? It's like you see her go to, to New Asgard and look at Monir. And I think in between that and the time in which Thor catches up with her, there has to be months or something in between, right? Because even when she pulls up, Valkyrie is like, oh, you're going to like that guy. I'm like, so you already know who this is. Throughout the movie, she's like, oh, this, she's, practice many catchphrases she's good at the saving people thing i'm like how many instances has she had to save people too and so i'm just trying to figure out like there's clearly a gap in between when when we see jane in the movie versus when thor catches up to her in the movie and i'm like but where is that time part of me even wishes there was like a, a small quick montage that was happening that showed her like leveling up i guess as as thor and so yeah i don't know i think it's something that taika was like we like the moment where we don't know where Thor doesn't know who this is because I, I, I do feel like if you do show that moment, which I would have loved to see as well, if you do show the moment of Th- Jane powering up, you don't need the moment where he doesn't know who that is. We know who the hell that is. And so in, in terms of narration from the audience, I don't know. I just, that was our first time seeing it, just like it was Thor's first time seeing it. So I, I guess there was in my mind, there's like a weird cut in there where it's like, mm, we don't like both. <laughs> we one or the other. And maybe th- maybe there was no room or there was there was no other way for Thor to see her 
after we had we had already seen her. You know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe there was no thing there, but I agree completely. I would have loved to see that moment. I love seeing people transform. It's one of the coolest things about superhero movies in general, especially origins, is when you see niggas transform or get new suits or things like that, and we just didn't get that out of Jane. So I agree. That would have been a cool moment to see, and shoot, they better add a delete a scene in this goddamn when it comes out on Blu-ray, because I would, I just want to see it. I want to hear the, some clinking with her new armor. I want to see Monier come f- into formation. You know, I, I want to see all of that. Uh, because I also want to know, like, did, did Monier break the glass? You know what I'm saying? Did it just... I, I, yeah, I just need to know how it happened. And so I, I, I want to see it. Yeah, she probably also... Because I, I don't think people realize this. Like, Mjolnir is also guarded by, like, five people. She probably mm. whooped their ass because they... <laughs> They probably saw that like, who are you? And how is Mjolnir calling yeah, calling to you? Facts. And they might have tried to attack her. That probably was like a whole nother little mini action set piece where she had to whip those guards ass because they they you know might have arrested her for for mm-hmm. quote unquote they 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 probably presumed that she was stealing Mjolnir when that's not the case. Like Mjolnir deemed her worthy, but yeah, I think I think it's evident that that stuff was removed and and that yeah. there were some pieces and some chunks missing. And I just maybe maybe if that stuff didn't work. Mm-hmm. And if I were to see it as a deleted scene and I can go back and say like, oh, yeah, I see why they pulled that out. But I don't know. I, I feel I feel like it was important because we yeah. had already knew that she was going to get this power. They mm-hmm. they they dropped that in the trailer months ago. Exactly. So even that moment where Thor sees her like it, it was never a surprise for us. It was exactly. always knowledge that we had that he did not have. And that's part of the fun, too, to, to be ahead of some of the characters at certain mm-hmm. points in the movies. Right. Like to say, that's like, true. oh, we know who that is. Thor, <laughs> yeah. his reaction is going to be gold when he finally sees his Jane. So could have used a little bit more there. But let's move on and talk about Christian Bale as Gore the God Butcher, obviously the main villain here. This is Christian Bale's first movie in like almost three years. His last film, Ford v. Ferrari. We reviewed very, very early it's back in two, on Two Black Nerds. Great, great movie. Great mm-hmm. performance from him. He's one of the world's finest actors. He's really one of the best out there. Academy Award winner, of course, uh, and and a legend in his own right when it comes to this comic book stuff because he is Batman, right? He played Batman in three films, the Dark Knight trilogy, incredibly, incredibly famous portrayal there from the Christopher Nolan era of Batman, probably the most beloved depiction Mm -hmm. of that character from a director and actor standpoint. Mm -hmm. And now he has lived long enough to see himself become the villain, as so many people (laughs) have aptly said before this movie. And he's coming in as gore, and they are pulling a lot of inspiration from that Jason Aaron run of Thor, God of yeah. Thunder, as as the influential influential story for for what this movie was going to be. And Christian Bale has talked recently about some of the some of the things that he pulled from in terms of this portrayal. He was pulling a lot from Nosferatu. Um, I got some vibes also from like Pennywise at, at certain moments in this movie, mm, especially yeah. with the kid the stuff, right? Stuff and, and the glowing too. eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. There was a lot of Pennywise there, which I thought was really cool. And then also the look of him is a big, a big talking point because he does look different than the mm. depiction in the comic books. And they purposefully went in a different direction because they did not want comparisons to Lord Voldemort from the Harry Potter franchise, which I think was I think a smart move. You don't yeah. you don't want somebody that looks just like another iconic villain in a very, very popular franchise. But overall, what did you think about Christian Bale and his and his portrayal here? You've already talked a little bit about his inclusion and some of the things they did and maybe did not do. But what did you overall think about Christian Bale as Gore the God Butcher? Yeah, man, this dude, he's just a great actor, <laughs> first and foremost. Even, you know, in, in the moments where where it is weird tone non-blending coming from Taika which is definitely what was happening in this movie man it was like 
yeah, Taika just did. I don't think he blended the tones very well with, with his villain with this this playfulness that he wanted to do. But I think uh, it's freaking Christian Bale. Like he was killing it to me. I was like, you're doing great work. It's what's happening to you in this movie is kind of not your fault, man. It's 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 Taika's imbalance. And so even then, I, I I don't really blame anything on Christian Bale. I think he was doing good. It just sometimes felt like he was in a different movie um, because of that. But I actually really like the depiction that he had. I loved how creepy his eyes looked. I loved how his teeth looked like, I don't know, they need a nurturing. You know what I'm saying? Look like he could bite something. <laughs> to like, say the least. To say the least. Like, it looked crazy. But, uh, uh, you know, we already knew. We talked about it like Quang Chi mixed with Kratos mixed with. Uh, and, but but these are these are still good. I think it's still good character design. Like, I think I liked his costume. I love how colorless. He looked. I like how in the beginning of the film he was, you know, pink as white people kind of are. Like, you know what I'm saying. But then he like <laughs> <laughs> he got he got even more desaturated as when 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 the sword when he finally got uh, hold of the necro sword. Um, I love one of the things that was so funny about this movie is he had an entire scene that didn't need to exist when he pops in the cage and is with the kids why was that in the movie bro he had no reason to do that he pops in the cage with his little snake because they're talking about popping heads off and he's like look this is this is my friend whatever the snake's name is and he pops his head off and like throws it at the children i i just thought that was so random but like you said it was very pennywise of him it was very it was very creepy and stuff but i was like damn why did Why'd you do that? That was such an asshole move for you. They're already scared. You didn't have to scare them even more, but it was it was still fun to watch him, man. Um, in any moment that he was in the uh, what's the black and white zone called again? I'm, shadow I'm realm. The shadow realm. Anytime he's in the shadow realm, I I just thought it was beautiful too. Like I love I love the the contrast between the light that the movie exists in the dark, the, 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 the lifeless colorless, um, things that he was doing. And specifically that moment where they get to the shadow realm, probably close to my favorite part of the movie. I'm trying to think, run through the movie really fast in my head as we're talking about it. But I think that's one of my favorite parts in the movie, just because Christian Bell gets a chance to do a lot of work. I thought the camera was doing tremendous things that moment where he's talking to, uh, he, he had, the shadow creatures have grabbed everybody in his camp. And he's like having one-on-ones like Tessa. He's talking to Tessa Thompson. He's like Valkyrie. The gods have let you down too. I just, I just thought I love those moments, man. That's like, that's some villain shit that I like to see. Um, and, and, and also because like in that moment, it allowed us time to prepare for that. I think like as soon as they get to the shadow realm, they have to walk around. And so the, the tonal shift isn't as big in that moment. Because as soon as it goes gray, you're like, oh, shit, okay, we're going to see Gore the God Butcher in a little bit. So now we're, we're, we're ready to see him at some point. We just don't know when. And so when we do see him, it doesn't, again, it doesn't feel like big of a tunnel shift. And I was like, mm, I like that moment because it, he was acting, everyone's acting in that moment, this lifeless, and it's, it's just kind of scary. It's like, oh, shit, they in some real shit right now, especially showcasing that you have three crazy powerful people in his grasp i thought was really cool to see um in in yeah he's like call (laughs) call the axe and i love the way he says it too you know what i mean he has like he has like a little accent he's like call the axe bro um and yeah i just thought it was cool so uh man i i still wanted more from this guy that's really 
the, one of my biggest grievances with with what was happening. One, the tunnel differences between him and whatever Taika had going on. <laughs> um, and, and then two, I just wanted to see him actually kill a god. Like, we kind of see him kill a god in the beginning. But that was like an origin kind of thing for him. Um, and I, 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 I wish... I, one, one other thing I wish is that they made it so in the same way that Jane, when she has Mjolnir, it it heightens everything that she is, right? You know how they, I, I just wish it, it, it told us that his hate for the gods was heightened by the sword rather than his sword making him this this thing. You know what I'm saying? It just felt like he picked up the sword and he was like, I'm Gore the God Butcher, rather than him being like, I hate the gods now. This sword makes me hate the gods even more <laughs> or something like that to make him a, a little bit more of, of an extremist more than like him being transformed. Because I'm a little tired of things transforming people a little bit, but I'm OK with things hiding people. I'm, I'm it, it feels a little bit better that way. So, um, yeah, man, those are my only grievances. Like show God, Gore the God Butcher killing the, the big, huge God that Thor says is the nicest God ever, because that's exactly where Sif was you know what I'm saying like that's a moment that I think would have also uh, uh heightened this dude as a villain but we just didn't get that and so I think that's why I like the moment on in in the, in the shadow realm showing us um as he's talking to everybody one by one because it's like yeah this is this is who I am as a villain I'm, I'm powerful I have I have these things I can do these things and I understand where you're coming from Valkyrie or why don't you understand where I'm coming from Valkyrie this is this is this is it and so yeah there's, there's a couple things with Gore I had going on so Christian Bale one of my favorite actors I think uh has made a impressively long career has been in this business since he was a child has been a lifer and has just done so many dramatic things physically and emotionally and mentally to himself to mm-hmm. give off incredible, incredible performances. This guy's known for transforming himself <laughs> and transforming his body, which he did again for this film. Probably not as dramatic as he's done in the past where he gained a lot of weight for Vice or lost a ton of weight for The Machinist, but certainly still looks frightening in this mm-hmm. film. And it actually opens up in a in a really... I think a really startling sequence where you get that moment with him and his daughter love as she perishes because they are in a desolate land. They don't have any food or water. They are starving um, and they are slowly dying of thirst. And he comes across this God Rapu. And you talked a lot about just the, the difference of movies that these actors were in, that the fact that Christian Bale might've been playing in a different type of film than, than the rest of his counterparts and, and what the story actually ended up being. And this is where it first came out for me because in that sequence with Rapu, mm-hmm. something just felt off. Something yeah. was very weird from Tremendous. the beginning. Like when mm-hmm. he stumbles into that, that jungle and it's very colorful and he gets the fruit and he's in the water, he's, you know, trying to nourish himself that made sense, but as soon as he came across that god, Rapu, which mm-hmm. Zeus is deemed as like a lower-level god, something was just very weird about it. I think, again, it was the way that it was shot. The colors just kind of felt off to me. The look of it just felt a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it was just a disconnect, and that was the moment of the movie where I was like, ah, something just kind of feels a little bit weird. It feels like Christian Bale deserves a little bit more emotional gravitas in this moment after his daughter just died, and this god is meant to be joking and almost you know sort of mocking this worshiper Mm -hmm. which i totally understand that because you want to make gore as a character more angry and seek out that revenge but i don't know just the way that it was delivered was just a little strange to me also i think it's extremely convenient that he just so happened to stumble upon the guy that they just killed for the necro sword 
Like it's <laughs> just there. It, yeah. it just happens to be it's right there. Man. Like mm-hmm. that's really convenient. Like this is not a journey he went on to seek out this sword. Maybe something that he heard about in legend. Um, to to go to go find this weapon that could take out the gods. Since he did seek out revenge, I understand you need the weapon to actually kill the gods because they are so powerful. But we know that in that comic run, this was a very very long storyline that they had to truncate within two hours. You know, mm-hmm. so there was no way that they could tell all the ins and outs of what Gore was as a character, but automatically from the top, something felt a little bit weird. And Christian Bale's portrayal, I thought was fantastic. I thought he did a really good job. I liked the creepiness of him. Mm -hmm. I do think that that moment with the kids was much less about him being an asshole and more so to showcase his awkwardness and how Mm -hmm. he doesn't know how to relate to them. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong. He could have just been, you know, been an asshole in that moment, (laughs) but he noticeably says like you guys were just laughing about somebody's head getting cut off and I, i'm trying to tell you a story to to to, to play along and mm-hmm. now you're scared but even with those moments even with the dramatic moments that he had with the with the primary three valkyrie jane and thor himself on the shadow realm it just never added up to what i really wanted out of his portrayal because ultimately there just wasn't enough butchering there was not yeah. enough butchering for gore the god butcher Agreed. we needed more of that i needed a story where he was going one by one taking out a few gods at a time really elevating that threat really making him scary and making him almost omnipresent in this entire universe because by the time we get zeus in omnipotent city and zeus has already heard about gore the god butcher I'm not surprised that he's heard about Gore because word like that would travel across the galaxy, but I don't feel like this this overwhelming presence. I don't feel like this oppressive force is out there and he's a true threat to the entire universe of gods because we hadn't really seen that. We hadn't really saw the opportunities to, to, to get that violence and Christian Bale has talked about how he did film a lot more stuff that was not in the movie. There yep. was a very violent sequence that they ultimately took out, which... Again, this is a Disney film. There is a certain audience. This is a four-quadrant movie. There's certain stuff that they just can't have. We know that. We get that. But I think you should toe the line a little bit better. I think you should lean in a little mm-hmm. bit more and play and play with those blurred lines as much as you can to really convey how dark and how sinister this guy is. And also, you talk about added sequences that could have been there, like him actually taking out a guide. Hell, even the moment when he gets the sword and you get the whispering you get the you get the mm-hmm. whispering of that voice saying go to eternity kill the gods go to eternity that could have been a sequence in it itself you know yeah. if he just took the sword killed rapu and then maybe another sequence later you you start to see the sword come to life you start yeah. to see that the necro sword is much more powerful than we might have initially thought that could have been another one minute it doesn't have to be tremendously long mm-hmm. it could have been one minute of just like him succumbing to the power of the sword cuz we know that it ultimately it kills whoever possesses it, and and it places a curse on them. Um, So a lot left to be desired from Gore the God Butcher. You know, I think Christian Bale did the best that he could. I just would have liked to see more. He shot scenes with Peter Dinklage as Eitri. He was supposed to come back in this movie. We didn't see that. Probably would have been related to the Necrosword. He was going to kill that bro. Makes weapons. Probably, yeah, probably would have took him out. Um, Also shot scenes with the Grandmaster. Might have also killed him, too. I don't know. Um, Which, if that's the case... Keep that out, because I want Grandmaster to come back. But, um, yeah, you know, ultimately, let's go back to that Shadow Realm sequence, because it is is really impressive, and I I think it is my favorite set piece in this movie. Um, This is is actually after he captured the kids, which we do got to talk about the kids in this movie, but um, this was cool because Taika Waititi and Thor Ragnarok, people might remember that really, really visually stunning sequence with the Valkyries, where they utilized this plate-like technology Mm -hmm. that had 
the light source sort of circling in many, many different areas. And they were shooting it at an incredibly, incredibly high frame rate to give it that slow motion effect. Um, And it's developed by this company called Satellite Lab, which he's very much connected with. And he used them again in this movie, and they utilized the dynamic light technology here for that whole Shadow Realm Realm sequence, which I think, again, just another visually stunning set piece that was really evocative of the darkness and the and the void that sort of exists within the character of Gore the God Butcher, the fact that he represents the the, the lack of light. Um, you know, they, they designed a special rig to capture all the multiple light setups, you know, and basically it would allow Taika to shoot it at a at a very high frame rate and then he would he can go in and post and pick out you know the things that mm-hmm. worked the best for him in that in that particular sequence but it's stuff like that where i'm very much like oh these guys still have a lot of creative ingenuity in terms of like how to communicate this because initially when i saw it in the trailers it was very much a surprise and i was like mm-hmm. i don't know how this is going to go but in actuality and practice when you see him fighting and he's fighting against valkyrie and mighty thor and thor at the same time and the shadow monsters are there and they're on this moon and they're rotating all of that stuff just looks really, really impressive, and that's that's the craftsmanship. If if I'm gonna you know talk about some of the lesser effects that that exist within the movie, I definitely want to <laughs> pick up the stuff that, that knocked me out, good. that looked yeah. that looked great. You know, it's stuff like that where I'm like, wow, they really they're really doing something totally different here that we haven't seen before. Um, even though it feels inspired by some other uh, directors, like kind of gave off Zack Snyder vibes at times. I, I still mm, thought it was. I see uh, that. I can see. I, that. I definitely still thought it was like a nice way to differentiate the rest of the movie from that particular sequence yeah man even you know a little bit of sin city vibes a little watchman in there absolutely you know what i'm saying um but yeah man it is by far again i think my favorite part of the movie and i i kind of just want to go back and just rewatch that part over and over because it's it's one thing to, for it to be shot well but it's also a really cool fight i mean there's monir yes. stormbreaker and zeus's thunderbolt is being used, you know what I'm saying, in these moments. I was like, this shit is really tight. And I love how they use Mighty Thor to, one, she illumin- she she lit, like, she used Monier as a light bulb. I didn't know you could do that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was that, cool. that was pretty cool. And then she chucks Stormbreaker, like, I don't know, she just swung Stormbreaker out the freaking atmosphere. I thought that was really cool. Um... I think one one thing that could have been tweaked a little bit it, are the shadow creatures. There's something about them that just isn't 100% to me. Like, I like them, but I don't know. I feel like they need just a little bit more pizzazz in their creepiness or something. And personality, I, too. Yeah, and personality. Like, make them, like, maybe the things that is whispering to him are also the shadow monsters that he uses. And so when maybe when they come alive, they talk in these weird like i'm gonna kill you you know you know what i'm saying or like something i don't know make them a little more weird like maybe you do use as as uh, we know we wanted to go a little bit away from voldemort but maybe you use like a creepy voldemort voice with those creatures you know what i'm saying like because you you could kind of hear it when they kidnapped the children there was like little something you know there was a little ambiance of whispering and, and creepiness coming out of them i just wish we got a little bit more of that before the fight happens, it's like, okay, this is the ramp up to the fight. These creatures are, are nothing to fuck with. And so I, I just need a little bit more of that out of the creatures. But that sequence, man, it's beautiful. It really, like, I don't think people even understood what they were watching. Because it even it even seemed like they they used even, like, a different lens when it when they got into the Shadow Realm than they was using in the rest of the movie to make sure to, that, that that moment had that gravitas. Um, one more thing I want to add. I just love the idea of gore. Praying to a sun god, 
and then like there is no sun. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just like yeah. it's really cool. Like you're in space. A lot of times in space, there's probably going to be a star around and there's going to be sun around. But because they're in the shadow realm, there is no sun in that bitch. There's like there's nothing. It's just a planet. You know what I'm saying? So I I, I just love that idea too. I'm like that's that's good. I don't know. That's good writing on their part. I think. Yeah, it definitely comes back around full circle, um, sort of in that moment. Let's talk about the kids in this movie, uh, or or teen kids in a cage, as teen Thor kids called in them. Cage. <laughs> um, so Gore kidnaps all the children of Asgard as a way to lure Thor and Valkyrie and Jane to the Shadow Realm, because ultimately we find out Gore wants to utilize Stormbreaker as the Bifrost to access the gates of eternity. And we have to talk about eternity in a second here, but I want to mm-hmm. talk about the kids first. Um, most notably being Axel, who is a new character we're introduced to in this film, who we find out is the son of Heimdall, who was, you know, famously portrayed by Idris Elba in the previous three movies and also popped up in the stinger in this movie. But Heimdall has a son and Axel is that guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's sort of the leader of Team Kids in the Cage. He's the one that's sort of the glue to the entire group. He seems like a little bit older than the rest of them and a little bit more confident. He's certainly scared just like the rest of them are, but he's the vocal mouthpiece. And he's the one that communicates with Thor because he knows Thor. And again, he has that relationship because of his father. Uh, what'd you overall think about Axel in this movie? Just how to, how they utilize him and how they sort of aided to the story and what they were trying to tell here. Yeah, bro. First and foremost, what is this cloud shit that they was doing with 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 Axel here? Why why couldn't Heimdall do that? First and foremost, because uh, we see clearly in Thor Ragnarok, Heimdall doesn't do that. He he says Thor calls to him and they they cut. There's not a big floating head <laughs> that's like i can see you thor what is happening that I, sucked we gotta we gotta be honest we, about it that it was awful poo poo that was, was probably the worst effects that they had <laughs> a floating head in any in any respect is just not a good idea we've seen floating heads before uh, i think about paul giamatti in yeah. the rhino suit mm-hmm. that floating head or mark ruffalo when he was in the hulkbuster suit in yeah, infinity war you can see the flo- that stuff doesn't look good, but they legit didn't even create like any sort of framing around mm-hmm. Axel. His head was just literally cloud. floating. Terrible decision. Bad it's a decision. Floating cloud. And and, and again, I, I don't get that decision because you've already established the way Heimdall's eyes work. You know what I'm saying? Like yes. so just so just cut back and forth or something. You know what I mean? Don't make a big floating head in the I don't know. That that shit was weird to me. Um, but you I one, I think this is a, a talented actor. I think he was very believable. I thought he was really good, um, and you know, I thought he was he was killing it in that way. I I I wish they hinted a little bit more. I, there was there, I remember there was uh, uh, theories that Heimdall was out here having sex, <laughs> and that he had a son somewhere. But it, I don't know. I feel like there was a better way they could have surprised us that that was Heimdall's son, or you know what I'm saying, calling or something. I don't know. I don't know how they would have done that. But I just wish it was a little bit more like. Oh shit! Heimdall's son is here. Like I just didn't get that. Oh shit! Like I wanted to. It could have could have just been a floating head taking me out of it. To be honest, maybe it could have just been a voice. Then I'm like, oh my god, what is this voice? And then when it cuts, it could have been Heimdall's son. I would have been like, oh maybe maybe that's it. Maybe the floating head just took me out of it a little bit in that moment. Um, but I, I actually like this kid a lot. I think he was doing a really good job. Um, I I think that he uh. He's going to be very important in the future. We kind of talked about it a little bit, right? I feel like he's going to be a young Avenger at some point, which which makes me excited. But I love that 
he he took the name Axel. Guns N' Roses was clearly a huge thing in here, so he took he took Axel from uh, Axel Rose's name, right? His yeah, name literally Axel Rose. He took the name from Axel Rose. I thought that was cool because they they kind of hint at it a little bit, but they don't really explain in this movie what it means to be traditionally as guardian, but now you live in the real world. You live on Earth, and so that was one of the one of the moments where it's like, no, these kids live on Earth, bro. Like. They're probably gonna know who Guns N' Roses are, you know what I'm saying? And so I, I, I did mess with that, that, um, that very specific thing about that. But I, uh, I, I think again, he's a really cool kid. I think it's a good job. I would just wish we had a little bit better of an introduction in that moment. Yeah, I think Kieran Dyer here is this is this young Axel, the son of Heimdall. I, I just want to first start and say I think he gave a really, really solid and strong performance. I'm very impressed by him. I, I hope he wants to have a, a long career in Hollywood because he seems like he can mm-hmm. grow and continue to evolve and to be a, a really, really credible and great actor. And so I just love what he brought to this movie. Again, he was sort of the glue and the one that would try to instill some confidence in the rest of the kids and in the, in the, the, the moment of their, their, the most need that they would have. And he was the storyteller as well, sort of taking up after his father. That said, Heimdall has a son. How, how, what? they never, ever, 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 ever alluded to this before at all. Like Heimdall as a character has largely been underserved in the prior movies. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunate because Idris Elba is very talented. You you want to see more of him, I think, in any circumstance. And his role sort of grew. It grew a little bit in Thor The Dark World. And it became important in Thor Ragnarok as he was sort of leading the people of Asgard away from the attacks of Hela. Mm-hmm. Well, you would think in that moment you would see Heimdall's family. Why wasn't who, right. whoever the baby mother is, why wasn't she with him as exactly. he's like taking charge? Mm-hmm. Where's the son? And I don't want to hear anything about age either because this kid looks he's old. I give him at least like 10, 11, at, yeah, least, at least probably even older. If, Maybe like 12, if Leia 13. is 10. <laughs> exactly. That'd right. Like a 12, 10, 13. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So time would add up. He would have been a baby around Thor Ragnarok. We know time has jumped. It's been five years. The blib, blah, 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 blah. But he would have been around for the events of Thor Ragnarok at least. And so mm. the fact that he's never mentioned at all and all of a sudden now Heimdall just has a son. That's strange. I have to say that that's strange. Like, I get wanting to continue that legacy, and obviously we we continue to go back to Young Avengers as a thing, which now, by the way, like, how many fucking Young Avengers are there going to be? Like, the kid tally is adding up a lot, so I'm wondering how large this team is actually going to be. But that was just strange to me. I loved what he did as the the performer. It's, It's no knock to him, Kieran Dyer, as an actor. It's just a choice. Although I liked what happened at the end of the movie and how they all came together, it was just like, I couldn't stop but think, like, when 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 did we ever get any sort of allusion to this? It just doesn't add up to the story that they were telling before. Also, another head-scratcher. I don't even know if a lot of people caught this. In Axel's bedroom, which we get a very brief shot of before he gets kidnapped by Gore, he has a Guns N' Roses poster, yep. which makes sense. He takes the name of mm-hmm. Axel Rose. He loves Guns N' Roses. And right next to it, he has a Mad Titan poster on his bedroom wall. <laughs> uh, really? The guy who killed your father and murdered half of Asgard? You have a, a Mad Titan poster? Oh, my God. Don't get me started on Infinity Cones, which we'll get to when we talk about New Asgard. But what the fuck is that? Why would Axel ever have a poster acknowledging Thanos at, in, in any respect this guy literally murdered your father Ooh. maybe it's another mad titan out there <laughs> I don't know that's probably a reach Thanos is the mad titan that's who we know is that guy so the fact that they had a poster 
of him in Axel's bedroom. I don't know what they were going for. That just, I, I don't know. It's just stuff like that where I'm just like, yo, what are we doing here? This takes me out of the movie because I noticed it. I, I only noticed it on the second viewing, but still, like, most people won't see it. Most people won't even care. But, but wow. as a storyteller, as consistent as as, as keeping keeping hold it with, with consistency and like making sure that all the stuff that leads up into this movie makes sense, that just doesn't make any sense to me. No, I'm completely with you. I have. It just doesn't make any sense, bro. It's like having a freaking poster of Hitler today. You know what I'm saying? It's like. Why? Yeah, if your parents were in the Holocaust, if they were subjected to to that, you know, and and you have a poster of Hitler hanging up in your bedroom, what and, what what is that? And it's not even like a, it's not even like he's disconnected. It's like Thanos wiped out the rest of y'all niggas. Like at some point, you know what I'm saying? Like he he that that ship had a lot of Asgardians on that hole, and it was wiped. And so I, it's just crazy. To even think about how, why he would have that poster on his wall. That shit's really he, insane. Fuck the rest of Asgard. He murdered his his father. His, his father is your daddy. Literally stabbed him. Like your dad. You got a poster. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Wow. I don't know what what was going on with that. But I just had. To, I could not go throughout this podcast and not mention that. But enough harping on that. I do want to talk about again sticking with the kids that final action sequence when they are taking on gore and they're at the gates of eternity or they're right at the gates of eternity and thor gives them the power of thor for just a brief moment for a limited time only as he said um i do want to just say that that was that was cool i I really liked that and i liked the moment of like empowering children and having them like have these weapons and they all have like the power of lightning um, at their at their at their disposal it, it was a c- cool visual moment and then also you had like the rainbow and the dark song that was the needle drop for that sequence it all just really really worked for me it was really dope the music was great the look of it was great uh i do just wonder like well thor you could have done this like in the past right yeah like, you probably could have used these powers before when y'all really <laughs> needed it right like now we want to bust them out for for gore okay that's cool but be that as it may i thought that, that was also like another visually striking moment that, that worked a lot for me yeah that was the only thing about it was that small continuity problem i'm like so you telling me back in wakanda everybody could have had the power of thor you know what imagine i'm saying that, right Wakanda's imagine with that bruh I just want to see a Koye and Black Panther go stupid for like man. the uh that shit would have been so tight. But man, I I really did love that scene. Um one, it was super unexpected for me. Like, that's one of the things, you know, we, we talked about this too off podcast where really the whole last act of the movie, just the thing the things transpiring were really surprising for me for the most part. Uh eventually, again, we talk about the bed scene with Jane. It's like, oh yeah, Jane's gonna die. But other than that, I didn't know what was gonna happen. Him giving these kids powers, them picking up weapons and fighting the shadow monsters, I didn't see it coming. And again, for for people that we watch a lot of fucking content, we there's a lot of things that do not surprise us anymore, but this is one of them. I was just like, man, good job. I did not see this coming from a mile away. This is what's up. And it was a it was an enjoyable part, man. Um, and it 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 gave us a little bit of payoff for spending time with the kids, you know what I mean? For them for gore going in and scaring them and kidnapping them. And it's like, okay, the kids deserve some payback too. So I'm glad like the kids actually got a chance to fight especially with the idea still that these kids a lot of them anyways you know there were a couple kids in there they're like we're not as guardian but for the most part those those kids aren't 
regular humans. These are Asgardian children. Like, they literally lived and walked among the gods. Of course, these are the kids that should be able to fight. It made sense. It's like, yes, these are the kids that can. If there was, like, some random kids from Missouri, I would have been like, okay, <laughs> what are we doing here? But it made Thor was, like, with Asgardian children. So I was like, yeah, that's this is really cool. I'm glad this is in the movie because... I, I didn't imagine this. It's a good sequence. And like you said, it looked good. And we was in this freaking hall with all these omnipotent, almost, a statue almost fell on them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, they were still, like, sort of in danger. But, again, I just love the idea that they got to fight back. Absolutely. Uh, another surprise, speaking of that, is the inclusion of Eternity, uh, which, again, did not expect coming into this movie that that mm-hmm. would be such a big factor and the, really the driving force for Gore as a character Eternity in the comics has played a very pivotal role because it's literally the center of all things. This being and in this movie, this being can can essentially grant wishes just because of this omnipotent presence that it has this this unbelievable power that it contains. And, and, and Gore wants to utilize Eternity to wish for the death of all the gods, the extinction of the gods, so to say. But Eternity was um was another just kind of crazy, wild comic book concept that was not anticipating being being an element in this movie that that tends to be the case they 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 do tend to surprise us occasionally with these really deep cut comic book elements mm-hmm. and this is another one which I don't know how how much they'll use it in the future they could always go back to it but I know we both were thinking like after this movie like wow they really they really kind of went there with that um do you do you foresee any future importance with eternity like even outside of this film cuz it was of minimal usage here but it's certainly something that could absolutely I think be a bigger factor in future films depending on whether or not they continue to go go the galactic route go this you know sort of otherworldly universal route that they have been sort of traveling down for 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 this entire phase but do, do you anticipate eternity might also be something that they that they come back to in the future i think in a lot of different ways they have to revisit eternity because there will come a point in time where you know love and thor I don't know, fighting or doing something. He's not going to understand the things that she can do, but neither is she. And so I think it's important to note that she's born out of eternity and not eternity itself. You know what I mean? And so I think they're, they're going to have to have a conversation with that somehow at some point just to explain, like, look, y'all, especially with these these higher level beings, right? In Eternals, we kind of had to talk about what is what the fuck is a celestial? You know what I'm saying? Like, you kind of got to have that conversation. When Living Tribunal finally pops up, we're going to have to have that conversation. The Watcher, even in, in What If, is like, this is who we are. You know what I'm saying? This is what we do. And so I think at some point we, we have to have that conversation about what eternity is. And so I, I definitely see eternity popping up um, at, a, at a later point in the MCU. I don't, of course, we don't know when that will be. But because love now exists and she's born out of eternity, we can't just not have that conversation. You know what I'm saying? It's just something they, 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 they can't just leave on the board. So I definitely think that's going to happen. I don't know. Again, I don't know when or where, but hopefully in, in one of the we're getting so cosmic now that it's like, all right. A lot of people do not get this, y'all. Like even when I watched it, you heard me. I was like, damn, they went with eternity. But that's because I know what eternity is. You know what I'm saying? As a as a comic book guy, I'm like, oh, shit, they went with eternity. But you got to start explaining. And so I think even by the end of the film, people are like, okay, but what is she exactly? You know what I mean? And we, we don't get that, 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 that thing. So I think as she, as Thor raises her, as these questions arise, I think they'll, they'll, they'll make time to address it. Hopefully in my mind, they'll make time to address it. 
Yeah, it, it's it's a lot. I think a lot of these these cosmic elements, it, it's a lot that they've introduced between now eternity, celestials, I mean, different dimensions in the multiverse, the mm-hmm. watchers. It it's a lot of stuff and it's very heavy on exposition as we as we tend to see especially in a movie like Eternals where there was like a I don't know, a seven minute sequence of just nothing but ex- exposition about who the Eternals were and how they mm-hmm. were birthed and that scene doesn't really work that great. And and luckily that isn't really present here. I think they yeah. sort of bypassed that. Exposition can be useful though if you do it in a creative way that right. that communicates what you need to, that gives off the information that that's going to be useful for us as an audience because a lot of people don't really understand this stuff or maybe even much less that they, they that they don't understand it, but they haven't given us the opportunity to really dive into what this all might mean. And uh I, I do I do sorry sort of worry that a lot of these cosmic elements, now that they're all here and that they're all in play, it might be becoming a little bit crowded. Whereas, you mm-hmm. know, with the first three, the first three phases, I mean, we were working really slowly to get to some of these, some of these things. I mean, right. we didn't, we didn't even get a reference to celestials in, in, in the first three phases. I don't think until probably Guardians, which is mm-hmm. what their twelfth movie in that yep. phase. You know, so now some of these things are hitting really fast. Every time we get a new movie or TV show, I mean, we're talking about even Miss Marvel, Jin, and different dimensions and yeah. all of this stuff. Like, mm-hmm. it's just a lot to keep up with. And so I just, I'm curious about the priorities of these different creative teams behind all of this stuff. Like, mm-hmm. yes, make your story and utilize whatever elements you see fit. However, in doing so, understand that comic book stuff goes really deep and gets really nerdy and gets really heavy on exposition. And it's different because that's a that's a that's a medium that kind of allows for that, where you can read and get that information. Films, you only have like two hours to, to get through all of this stuff. So if you're going to introduce something that is like this dense, how are you going to make us as an audience understand it and 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 allow for us to to absorb that information and then if you do come back to it later we're not scratching our heads like well what was that like i don't even remember what they told us about it so we'll have to wait and see how they utilize eternally in the future in the future if they do but i I agree that it probably will come back at some point they always circle back to certain things i i i would probably lean towards the side of maybe not utilizing it as much Mm -hmm. because it is like this this concept that is it's very hard to explain so maybe the less said about it the better in in terms of like whatever particular instance they try to bring around with it but that being said let's go ahead and move on to king valkyrie played by tessa thompson who i gotta say in this movie is another character that's underutilized Mm -hmm. doesn't get a ton to do here which is unfortunate because her portrayal in thor ragnarok was i really loved it i I loved the fact that she was like this alcoholic Mm -hmm. and she was you know, she she would say anything. She wasn't afraid of anybody. And all somebody had to do was mouth off at the, you know, and say something wrong to her. And she was she was ready to fight. You know, I really <laughs> love what Tessa Thompson did with that. And it, it, it's all born out of a place of like anger and frustration and yeah. maybe even depression because of like what her past was and some of the loss that she dealt with. And they touched on that a little bit here. But mm-hmm. I, I do find that her character was was sort of sacrificed for story elements that had to be provided to Jane Foster and to Gore the God Butcher. Like, a lot of time had to be spent with their characters yeah. and introducing and reintroducing him. And, and, and unfortunately, she suffered because of that. But again, I find that if there was maybe just one more scene, yeah. he could have aided with that. Like, if we just got... We got one scene with her and Jane when they're about to leave for mm-hmm. Omnipotent City, but maybe another one. When, when Jane first gets Mjolnir, you know, and they just, yeah. like can sit down and talk about it because i'm sure that like exactly valkyrie was probably the first person jane went to when she found all of this out so like Mm -hmm. can we see that can we see that conversation happen like jane talked to her and valkyrie responds and 
you know, lets her know what's going on with everything. Like that, that would have been, I think that would have been an added addition that, that could have only plussed her story instead of taken away from it. Yeah, man, for sure. Again, that's that, that time in between we don't get between her actually getting Mjolnir and then Thor seeing her as, as mighty Thor. It's like, I don't know, just a, a weird amount of time in there. Cause actually you saying that I would have loved that scene. Valkyrie, Jane has been to Asgard multiple times at this point, right? And so it's weird because Valkyrie is the one person who hasn't been there when she was there. And so them like coming into, you know, meeting each other would have been huge. How did they get so close? Is it because Jane, I don't know, really did become the protector of Asgard? But how do we how do we get there? When she becomes Thor, does Valkyrie see her become Thor? Does she see the does she feel it? Like what is I don't know. She's a Valkyrie. Like, you know, she she's pretty powerful, too. So what what in that moment? How does it affect her? And we do get uh, that that very small moment um, when they're on the boat and Korg is like, oh, do you feel like this? And he literally does like this exposition in like three sentences of why <laughs> she is the way she is. You know what I mean? She's right. like, he's like, oh, why have you never rekindled love or whatever? He's like, is it because your girlfriend died on the battlefield? Blah, 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 blah. I'm like okay but let's talk about that he's like it's like a two-minute therapy session i'm like no let's i don't know let's let's have her do something else where is her love story continue you know what i'm saying we don't she doesn't get that we all we get is her kissing the hand of one of zeus's muses you know what i'm saying in omnipotent city but we don't get like what's next for her in that moment you know what i mean what what is her arc in this movie she's just the king of, of new asgard really and she gets that three minute or that two minute therapy session with freaking Korg. But what else? You know what I'm saying? She has a cool new Zeus Thunderbolt now. That's what's up. But like, what else? <laughs> what is what does this mean for her? What is what is her arc as king? Does she feel like she's failing as king right now? Does she feel like she's doing a good job? But there's things hindering something. I don't know. Come up because in. What, what I do like is in the beginning or when she talks to Jane, you know, she's like, well, all there is is there's Raven Mail in or there's there's meetings and meetings that could have been Raven Mail and things like that. Where it's like, what are your other grievances as king? Like what? Give us give us a little bit more, a better snapshot of what that means. And I think they this movie just could have been longer, bro. Give me give me another 30, really if not more, give me another 30 minutes of this movie. And I think there's, there's a, a lot more there. And so, like you said, she, she suffers because of that. Um, of course I love Tessa Thompson. I still think she was amazing. I actually love that she was on board for the journey. Cause I wasn't even sure I was ready for that coming into it. Like they still did give me a little bit more than I thought they would. Like she was there the whole time. I, and again, I love that moment between her and Gore where Gore is like, look, gods have failed you once too and and now she has become that very thing she has become the king of asgard which the, it was a king that failed her before let's talk about that shit that's some deep stuff you know what i'm saying and, and we only touched the surface in that moment so man I, I i love that we got more of her than i expected but i agree completely she was she was still not as serviced as she could have been especially in the talent that is tessa thompson but you you know i had a king valkyrie shirt on <laughs> while watching this but you know you know who i came for i was ready but i i i was i was still one pleasantly surprised but also two still very let down amount of of uh valkyrie that we got yeah yeah unfortunately very surface level stuff i would say and also it, it reminds me that back at comic-con when they announced this movie they said that like yeah 
Valkyrie will be back and she's going to be searching for a queen to be alongside her as king. And that was nowhere to be found. It didn't happen. That that was not a thing. Like you said, all we got in terms of her bisexuality or her or her gayness, at least, is, mm-hmm. is the fact that she kissed a woman's hand when they were leaving Omnipotent City. And I'm like, well, well OK, you know, that that's she all. But there's nothing else like she's not seeking out anybody. Nobody mm-hmm. comes across and gets her attention like there is no love story for her. And I really thought we were going to get something I like it, it. It's obviously not going to be the, the main storyline. I thought it would have mm-hmm. been a B plot at least. But we, we didn't even get that. And it was. It was just weird, you know, I think to 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 take a character who was so well, well received in Ragnarok and saw those threats continue in the subsequent Avengers films and then just sort of relegate her to, to the background, though she was along for the journey and had some comedic moments and wore some cool stuff. I love that she was like fighting in her pajamas and she had on a Phantom of the Opera t-shirt and she had a King's Asgard jersey on at the end when she's practicing with the children, like has some great fits and some great looks, but as a character in that story, it was it was severely lacking, which which is really unfortunate because, as you said, she's supremely talented and also has a, I mean, I'm not the leading authority on accents, but I think she has a really good British accent. I forget that Tessa Thompson is not British. It's crazy. It's actually crazy. because insane. She's very much American with the <laughs> American accent, it's but insane. her British accent sounds pretty legit. So the girl can clearly act and, and can act her ass off and I think deserved more time and opportunity. And it, you know, for, for her queerness as an element that I thought was going to be a vital part of this movie for it to be as absent as it was, it, it's a letdown. Cause this movie's not as gay as it might like to think it is. It's mm-hmm. not really all that gay. It's like mildly gay. Like there's yeah. some moments it's that and mm-hmm. Korg has a moment. It's, it's, it's some things that happen, but no more so than Ragnarok. There were some moments in Ragnarok where it was like, oh, that right. was that was a little freaky. But, mm-hmm. you know, um, ultimately, one thing I did enjoy is seeing New Asgard and the fact that she is now king. And probably due to her leadership, she's turned New Asgard into a complete tourist attraction, yeah. which I do want to spend just a couple quick minutes talking about that. Um, we, we got a glimpse of this in the trailer that New Asgard was essentially going to turn into like it's almost like the wizarding world of Harry Potter, like this place that people go to and they ride cruises and they go to get the specialty drinks and they get ice cream and all of this stuff that's very unique to Asgardian culture. Mm-hmm. Um, an interesting choice by her, which to your point, I wish we would have seen maybe some of the the thinking behind that. Well, why yeah. is this place so commodified now? What's the reason behind that? Is it mm-hmm. is it purely to drive money into the economy? Probably, but we could have had maybe a little bit of dialogue about that. Ultimately, though, I do think it was mostly realized in a pretty in pretty impressive way. I, I liked what they did here. It was kind of funny, you know, seeing some of that stuff. Like, you get the cruise ships and you get all of these different attractions. But the, the main attraction, of course, is the is the new Asgard Theater Company coming back and getting those cameos that we also got in Thor Ragnarok returning here. And those people I'm talking about are Matt Damon, Luke Hemsworth, Sam Neill. And new to the cast this time around, Melissa McCarthy. Yeah. Um, Matt Damon, of course, is playing Loki. Luke Hemsworth is playing Thor. Sam Neill is playing Odin. And Melissa McCarthy comes in here as as Hela. Um, unfortunately, this was spoiled for me a long Damn. time ago. Big like same. a long, long time ago. So knew mm-hmm. this was going to happen. But it was still fun to see this small moment. As a callback to Thor Ragnarok when they were reenacting the events of Thor the Dark World. And now they're reenacting the events of Thor Ragnarok and Odin's death and Hela's arrival. And it was also nice to see like how cheap stage productions are, like mm-hmm. how much they don't have to work with. Like they are utilizing, like Matt Damon has a, has a water bottle to, you know, sort of 
make Loki like cry. Same bottle. <laughs> I use it on my hair. That exact same spray bottle. That shit was crazy. I was like, I that's hilarious. That. It's like, yeah, I gotta use this to give me tears, and and and, <laughs> and they have to build this makeshift mule near so that it can break, and they have it on wires so that it can you know look like Thor's throwing it. Really, really funny stuff here. It might have went on maybe a few seconds too long, but ultimately I thought it was a nice callback. It was a, it was a funny moment again to to sort of remind us of what happened in Ragnarok. And how these actors are still around here. Like, it's not just Matt Damon coming in in the movie. It's like, no, they're actual actors in Asgard. They're actual Asgardians. Because yes. we even get Matt Damon and Luke <laughs> Hemsworth coming up with their next play idea yep. when, when things are in chaos. So that was that was cool to see. Yeah, it is cool to see, man. Especially, these are, like, not small names. You know, Matt Damon, Sam Neill. It's like, what? Y'all niggas decided to to cameo this film again? Um, it's, it's cool, man. Luke Hemsworth, Melissa McCarthy. Like you said, it got... It, Melissa McCarthy got spoiled from a long time ago too. I think we probably find out the same way around the same time. Um, but it it is what it is, man. Uh, what's what's that that moment is so funny though because it's so much pandemonium and all they care about is doing another production. I thought that was that's just <laughs> hilarious. It's like y'all some yeah. real actors here, man. Um, oh, I have to pivot very uh, a little bit, but in that moment where there's pandemonium going on, I hate how they make Thor go through the ceiling because he knows it'll break why why did they make him do that they well he's he's careless if we're being fair because that you know he was careless on the planet in the beginning when he destroyed the entire palace like in order to rescue the people he's super careless and he doesn't really he doesn't really he's never had any regard for the environment around him when he does stuff like like he did learn that though i feel like there was a moment in maybe it was the dark world where he knows the bifrost destroys shit so he walks away and then calls the bifrost and i'm like in age of ultron he destroyed the lawn (laughs) when he left avengers compound i don't don't know if he learned his lesson he did do that but at least it was the lawn though like he knows he's in the building he just goes (laughs) i don't know i was like dang he's locked out the building she said she was gonna invoice him i'm like where's thor getting money from (laughs) how is he gonna pay for this that's true with what bank account he's on the he's on the the avengers payroll bro ain't everybody on Avengers. what payroll payroll? (laughs) nobody gets paid for that we we found out sam is poor as fuck like there's no money to be made from the avengers (laughs) i'm dead (laughs) no you're you're absolutely right man uh but i wonder if the new asgardians the um the actor, the the production team. I wonder if they're like if they're gonna pop up in the next Thor. Oh like, my god! Doing Thor, their Thor <laughs> loving Thunder next. Like I just want to see it. Uh, hopefully, uh, oh my god! Hopefully, I need two more cameos of people playing goats. They have to play the goats. Somebody's playing oh the goats in the, in the new production of it. I hope so, man. Because them goats, I can't lie. I laughed every time. I don't know what it is. They're hilarious to me. Tooth Nasher and Tooth Grinder, uh, also a part of this Asgardian, new Asgardian element. Uh, you know, they were funny the first viewing. Second viewing, I found them a lot less funny because you mm-hmm. you expect the gag. When it's so unexpected and comes out of nowhere and they're just yeah. screaming all the time, <laughs> I, I couldn't help but laugh because it's like they are screaming uncontrollably. <laughs> it's like a, it's a shriek. It's not even just a, ah! it's, it's crazy. Like out of control. Um, yeah. But the funniest moment is when they hit, when they when hit, they the, hit the Shadow planet, Realm bro. and they hit that planet. I, I don't care if you didn't laugh before that. I, I feel like everybody in the theater laughed dying. at that particular moment. Like that one, that one was good. Uh, um, but yeah, there's a lot of new Asgard stuff here. I mean, Infinity Cones is kind of weird. Also, I think calling back to the Mad Titan thing. Why would you do that? We have an ice cream shop for the guy that committed mass genocide five years ago. Why are we doing this? Like, why not just do 
Ben and Jerry's and have the flavors that Tony and Bruce were talking about in Infinity War when they had all the different flavors that they were talking about. Why not just have Ben and Jerry's with those flavors? Infinity Cones seems a little weird, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there, there was an Old Spice commercial, which was a creative tie-in because they actually have, like, real marketing partnerships with Old Spice. Like, there have been actual commercials. Like, mm-hmm. Luke Hemsworth has been playing Thor in the Old Spice commercials that keep getting targeted to me on YouTube, but to see Tessa, Tessa Thompson do it in the movie was also nice. She also seems a little bit upset by it. Like, you can tell she doesn't really enjoy this. Again, I think it feels like a sense of obligation for her that she just has to do this stuff because New Asgard needs money. It needs income and, and, and a robust economy. So she's probably made a lot of decisions to, again, commodify this place and, and make it a tourist attraction and make mm-hmm. people, you know, sort of come to it. Um, also got to shout out uh, Daryl, who popped up as a cameo Darryl's as well. Yep. We talked about the Team Daryl shorts on our, on our Thor episode, so it was nice to see him as well. But... Yeah, ultimately with King Valkyrie, as as we've alluded to, just hoping for more out of the character, certainly she'll be around for the future. I think that's safe to say. So I just want them to lean further into who she is as a character. And if we do get this whole queen king thing, like, let's go there. Like, let's mm-hmm. really explore that or let's see her fight alongside some other people and get some some true development out of her because she's a rich character for sure. Um, let's go ahead and talk about Zeus in this movie, played by... Academy Award winning actor Russell Crowe, who we also knew was going to be in this movie. Um, This main set piece is around the whole omnipotent city section of the movie right in the middle of the second act because they decide that they're going to go to omnipotent city to seek out the help of the gods in the Mm -hmm. fight against Gore the God Butcher. And they're going to go make their case and try to assemble a team from all the different gods of the universe. And, uh, you know, ultimately, man, Russell Crowe here... I know that this performance is divisive, to say the least, but I really enjoy what he did here. Mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty hilarious. And it also makes sense with the depiction of the gods, too. Like, yeah. we, we we get different interpretations, right? This is not, like, the really sexy, mm-hmm. regal, royal depiction of, like, Greek gods. This is, like, I think that this is actually the more accurate representation of what we read about in mythology. Like, I yeah. remember taking classical mythology in college and every story was about them fucking like yep zeus just wanted to stick his dick in everything so him saying like we're gonna plan for the orgy i'm like yeah that's that's what the stories were like that's all it was about they're they're pretty degenerate types of beings like they're not necessarily worthy of being worshipped and i think that that's what was depicted here in his performance also I guess it was a Greek accent that he was going for mm-hmm. in this movie was also uh, <laughs> it was a choice. Um, I don't know if it worked all the time for me, but it was funny. Chill, baby cake. Have some grape. Have <laughs> some a, wine. Like he great. would just bust out into those moments. It was pretty <laughs> funny to me, but I liked what Russell Crowe did here. I thought that it was uh, it was fun and he knew what type of movie he was in. Maybe unlike Christian Bale, who was on the more serious side, mm-hmm. Russell Crowe knew he was here for a good time. And lastly, it was also just good to see him wear that armor. They designed that armor clearly is an homage to his character in Gladiator. It was very much reminiscent mm-hmm. of what he wore as Maximus in that movie. So I thought it was good here. And he was in the movie more than I thought he was going to be. So I, I had fun with his, his depiction of Zeus. Are you not entertained? I would have been tight if he said that. I would have blew. I would have threw my popcorn. Um, Man, I, I, I agree with you, man. I thought I was having a great time with Russell Crowe on screen. I actually was thinking about that accent. And I think it's a it's a current Greek accent, right? Like not an old Greek accent. Yeah, it's more current. <laughs> it's a current, but yeah, it, I thought that made sense though. It was like, yeah, you you would probably grow with the times, I guess. Like you, as a god, I love also the idea that 
all he does is party because people don't pray to him anymore. It's freaking 2022, right? Like nobody in actual Greece in the real world is praying to Zeus. And so I, I, I think that's like a cool idea for all them wants to do is have meetings and orgies and eat some grip and some, you know what I'm saying? Like it just, it just makes sense uh, kind of. So I, I thought that was cool too. But I also love how it's, even in the post credit scene, how serious he felt like he was. Like, you could tell the dynamic between what was happening in the real movie and how serious he was in that post credit scene when he's talking. It's like, this dude, you could just tell his acting chops in those very, in those little subtleties, I think, and what was going on. So I thought that was really cool, too. Um, I also love that it seems like he's going to be around a little bit. Um, he's going to be around a while. I, I like that. Um, the MCU just continues to bring legends on board. It's it's really it's really impressive every time. It's it's I'm never like, oh, they have a new legend joining. I'm like, no, this shit is cool. <laughs> Russell Crowe is in the building, y'all, as Zeus in 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 having a good time, man. Um, so I thought that's what's what's up. I this dude was playing with Thunderbolt a lot. I love how he, I love how Thor is. They had to address that Thor was taking a lot of his ideas from Zeus, right? Zeus being a very early god, Thor being later in Norse mythology, you know what I mean? Being a little bit later god. He's like, I get a lot of my things from him, him being the the, the god of, of lightning. And so I was like, yeah, this is what's up. Like, I, I, I just love the callback to that because they're very similar gods. You have to address that. And they did. And they decided to address that. So I thought that was cool, too. Um, but, yeah, really good to see Russell Crowe here, man. It's it's it's. Yeah, I'm I'm ready to see whatever he does <laughs> in the future in the MCU too, because it, it was both hilarious, but also very believable too. As gods clearly suck in this in this uh, universe, they sure do. Uh, we sh- we should sort of acknowledge Omnipotent City as a new location here. This is also directly pulled from the comics, and I thought visually looked great. This was one section where good. I'm like, yes, this was nice, mm-hmm. and I love how they. They, they they clearly you know sort of brought this world to life this the safe haven for for the gods of the universe and we got we got a lot of different looks at, at various gods there Hell was gods. uh there was korg's uh god who's like the croning god which mm-hmm. was funny because he was sitting on a throne of scissors which was a nice little callback <laughs> to thor ragnarok and obviously like rock paper scissors that's that's clever there was the dumpling god bow bow which adorable through me threw me so bow. off i it's the last thing that I expected. A dumpling god was <laughs> present here. Um, there was also uh, the panther guy, Bast, who we know is like very much related to the Wakandans yeah. and has been alluded to before. So that was cool. Lots of lots of different gods here. So I like the small the small little nods to them. There was also Dionysus, I believe, who was one of the one of the sons of Zeus. He had that moment where yeah. he was like, "You tell him, Dad," or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Like, so they had a lot of you know nice cool mythology here. You know, again, characters that are not in the movie that long, but overall just looks good, adds mm-hmm. to the mythology of this universe. And I also love how much Thor knew about this stuff. This is one moment where he doesn't seem like a bumbling idiot. I don't, I don't really like seeing Thor not be smart. I, you know, he can be silly and pl- have fun, but I don't like seeing Thor like kind of dumbed down. I love those moments where he can like tell other people about all of these different beings. Like he knew the names of the gods. He knew why Zeus was so important to the universe. Mm-hmm. And he could talk about, you know, who this person is and who that person is. Cause he's been around for so long. You know, he would have this information. He grew up learning this stuff and learning about these legends. So I just love just how they communicated that new, that new environment and that new, that new world that they built out here. Yeah, man. It was also just, like you said, it's really cool seeing all of this. It looked really good to me. Like this was, you could tell they were like focusing on this part. Like when you watch Omnipotent City and there's like that overview shot of the city, some of that shit, I was like, ah, this looks crazy. Cause I don't even know 
how you do that a lot of a lot you know we watch a lot of videos and stuff of visual effects people usually when i see a visual effects i'm like i can kind of grasp how they did some things but some of the ways in which they made omnipotent city were really impressive um in that way uh we see the great uh, uh was it the great protector i think the gold dragon in that hole i thought that was yeah. a, mm-hmm. a cool callback um like you said bass man being the black panther guy was really cool it was good seeing all that stuff what i really like about this too is the inclusion of all these gods and in this movie the inclusion of valhalla just means so much towards i think what what the afterlife means in the mcu and you know what I mean? I don't know. It's just now we have so many more worlds that, to understand. Like with each guide in my mind comes a new afterlife or what that afterlife looks like for that person, which they talked, they really talked about in Moon Knight and explained in Moon Knight, right? It's like whatever the afterlife is for you exists pretty much is what they were saying. So I love how maybe because we now have Greek, Greek gods, right? Maybe the underworld exists. Maybe, you know what I mean? Like maybe that other stuff exists. So I, I think that's cool because now we have a Valhalla. Now we have the the Great Plains from Black Panther. You know what I mean? Now we have this and that. And I, I think that's really cool um, in terms of the, the that's one of the things I think they expanded kind of not necessarily slowly, but I, I like the way it looks. I like the landscape. It's like, oh, we have we have three three very clear destinations of the afterlife now of what that looks like. And so I think that's cool with the inclusion um, of all these gods, but it was, it was, it was uh, good looking. It was really cool to just be like looking for different gods picking out um, in omnipotent city. I thought that was well done. Yeah. Another funny moment. I was wondering coming into this movie, how, and if they would acknowledge Loki. Well, they certainly did because when Thor gets stripped of his clothes, that moment we saw in the trailer that happens here, we see he has a back tattoo in tribute of Loki. It says RIP Loki. A bunch of back tattoos. It's a lot of back tattoos. It's like a whole mural. But it doesn't even look that great. Like the artist, whoever did it, kind of didn't go crazy. It was it was a little it looked a little cheap. I'm like, you might have you might have, you know, gone back to the drawing board on that one and maybe got mm-hmm. something a little bit worth your more worth your money. Uh but also we do get the introduction of Zeus's Thunderbolt here. And on second and third viewing, I was like, this is really kind of a movie about weapons. Like, there's a lot of weapons in this movie. And Zeus's Thunderbolt, everything that he's doing, Russell Crowe, the way he's twirling it and throwing it and disconnecting it and putting it back together. I like I thought that all of that was cool. And mm-hmm. we also saw how dangerous it was because as soon as he threw it, it immediately destroyed Cord. Um, and his entire apparatus, his entire body. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it transports. It, it's kind of like a Bifrost, very similar to Stormbreaker. Yeah. And it just got me thinking, like, what's the most powerful weapon in this movie? Like, if we really thought about it, because there's Stormbreaker, there's a Thunderbolt, there's Mjolnir, of course, the classic, mm-hmm. and then there's the Necro Sword. I gotta say that, like, out of those four, I don't know, I feel like even though Stormbreaker was on some very emotional shit in this movie and <laughs> was being very jealous that still feels like the most powerful weapon to I me agree. out of all of them like not only is it a bifrost and can make you travel the universe but it's still incredibly strong like mm-hmm. when thor uses it in the proper way like stormbreaker's pretty devastating after that though it kind of gets interesting because i would say it's either between mjolnir and and and, and the thunderbolt, thunderbolt. because mm-hmm. thunderbolt does something that Mjolnir cannot, and that's very similar to Stormbreaker. It can take you to other places. Like, Mm -hmm. we saw Thor utilize it to travel to the Gates of Eternity to save the children, you know, right before Gore is able to reach Eternity. Uh, And also just incredibly powerful, you know, can throw it, and and it's fast, and it's easy to use, and we even see Valkyrie use it in a really impressive way. Um, But what's disappointing is that the Necro Sword, I feel like, did not live up to the hype. I feel like the Necro Sword could have been 
utilized in a much more impressive and fascinating fashion. It could have been visually represented better. I think it could have even been bigger. Like, I know there's a practicality to it, to, to have it look and weigh a certain amount so that Christian Bale could probably have a real prop to use. But I feel like, just based off of what we've seen in the comics, like, the Necrosword kind of isn't like a physical thing. It forms into things. Like, it, it's almost more reflective of what they did with Hela in the last movie. So mm. I get the decision to want to do something different. Mm. But... I think even the Necrosword had more to do as a weapon in this movie. It could have been more of a character, at, like like we saw with Thunderbolt or Stormbreaker. Like maybe in, maybe maybe pull back on one gag from from the the love triangle and give that moment to to Necrosword and 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 have that be more of a threat and more of a thing that we could have you know latched onto as an audience to say like oh yeah the Necrosword is actually really you don't want to fuck with that weapon it can actually take you out. That's an amazing point, man, talking about that, because there is so much time spent on, this is Thunderbolt, this is Molnir, this is Stormbreaker, but we never get that Necrosword moment for it, you know, and and again, I think it just goes back, we we don't even get to spend the time with Gore as we should, of him killing these gods, you know what I'm saying, like, we probably would have gotten those moments, or even then, we just get, we get these creatures you know and the creatures are kind of supposed to be a representation of the sword but we even we don't we don't even really get to make that connection that much that it's the sword that is creating these creatures like that and so man yeah i, I have to say the, the most powerful to me is definitely stormbreaker though for sure and as much as it whoops ass as we can clearly see i think that bifrost piece of, piece of it is insane man remember that's that's the thing that was like one it can open the keys to eternity, clearly. And it se- also seems like maybe even those other things in the hall, right? Like uh, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah. He could have mm-hmm. freaking made a path to the Watcher <laughs> if he wanted to or something. I don't know. Like, that's what it seemed like. Because it just felt, like you said, they said it was the key. But also, this was a thing that was so sacred to the world of Asgard that Heimdall used to be over. And Mitri just put it in a weapon. You know what I'm saying? It just felt, I don't know. I'm like, damn, you can do that in a weapon now? It's like the it's like such an upgrade from something, again, that seems so sacred and so specific to Asgard. Like Heimdall used to have to watch over this entire thing. He used to watch over the Bifrost. And now Thor has it in the palm of his hands. It's like, not only is it a killing machine, but this nigga can just freaking put it on the edge of a boat with some goats pulling it and go anywhere in the universe. You know what I'm saying? It's like, this thing is insane. But like you said, as a number two, it, it, I, I, I have to go with Thunderbolt too, and it's because, like you said, we just don't get that time with the Necro Sword. Necro Sword did. I, if I seen it do what they said it does, kill gods, hell yeah, I would have put it at number two. But we didn't see that, <laughs> so it's easily the Thunderbolt for me. It's like almost not even a question that Thunderbolt is number two for me because we didn't see that. So I'm, I'm, I'm of the same mind that you are for sure. Absolutely. Um, let's also just like wrap, wrap up with the characters and talk about Taika Waititi as Korg. Um, coming back here, we, we saw that character introduced in Thor Ragnarok. Taika Waititi, the director of the movie, also in the movie, also wrote the movie. So playing a lot of different roles here. Uh, Korg, mostly funny. We, we've already, you know, sort of touched on him as mm-hmm. as one of the, the, the framing devices in terms of narrating and pushing the story further along, which I thought in that way was the most effective use of Korg. I, I liked what they did there. Um, also, some small moments to communicate the, the the bro relationship between Korg and Thor was nice to see. It's nice to, nice to see how close they are. Thor was clearly upset when he thought Korg might have died. It's unfortunate that they use so many fake-out deaths in this movie, though. Like, if you're going to... Mm 
kill somebody, then just like go with it. Don't like tease it. Just just choose choose a side. Don't kill them. Or yeah. if you if no you are good. going to kill them, don't like make it a fake out death. I, I really really don't like that. So the moment that we thought he actually was gonna die, and then he comes back, I'm like, oh well, you had a chance there, but you didn't take it. They also kind of do that with the post credit scenes, if we're being honest. But Korg, you know, fine here. Probably in it a little bit too much, though. Again, as we talk about all these things that could have used more time, well, at a certain point, you do have to take away time from certain things, too. You can't, you just can't add on. Otherwise, we would have got that four and a half hour cut. So for me, if I had to take away time from a certain character, it would have been Korg because there was more of him than even in Ragnarok. And I think that that might have been just a misusage of all these other things that we've been talking about that could have allowed for more of an opportunity for them to shine. Like whether it was more, more opportunity to, to get to know Gore and see that butchering or to learn more about Valkyrie and what she's been dealing with as King of Asgard or just the transformation of Jane into mighty Thor. Like there's so many things that we're picking apart here that could have utilized more real Mm -hmm. estate within the movie. And so when you look at a character like Korg who had a very decent amount of runtime and was pretty much always present and had moments and scenes here and there, it's like, well, maybe we could have peeled back on that a little bit. Like, yes, comedic relief. Yes, a narrative framing device. That stuff works. But there's there's more stuff to do here that I think is more interesting than just, like, hearing another gag from Korg because he did find love in the end and presumably is making a baby with Dwayne. Cool. But what more did we really learn about him than, yeah. than what we already knew? Probably not much. So I think that they could have maybe reoriented some of the, the time and space from his character to some of some of these other things. Yeah. Even though we did get those like a couple bro moments, too, I actually do wish we we talked about, I don't know, the other kind of like platonic love of a bromance. You know what I mean? Like if Thor love and thunder and his best friend and Heimdall died. Right. And so there was there is kind of a void left. You know, I think it is cool that. He's now looking over Axel in in my mind, what is now like a godfather role for Axel. Uh, uh, that's that's really cool. But now it's like Korg is here and it's like becoming his new best friend. So part of me wishes they did like, I don't know, harp on that, too. And in, in saying that, like that, that platonic love is also important in, in him and Korg having a bromance would have been really cool in a, in a in a deeper sense. But they didn't really talk about that either. So, again, that's that in-between thing. It's like lean all the way in or don't <laughs> or don't do it at all sometimes. Um, and, and, and so I, but I'm still glad, again, we we got those moments. And so I wish I wish. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, we got a little bit too much. There was a moment where uh, when when uh, Thor told Axel to hold out his hand because of what his dad told him to do in Ragnarok. And Korg does it too. And I was like, well, I didn't need that. Cause that's, it wasn't funny. It wasn't endearing. It wasn't cute. I was just like, you just didn't have to do that at all. Like, why is that in the movie? And so there was small moments like that. I'm like, Korg, you don't have to go through this, bro. Like you don't, I don't know. And, and like you said, it, it was a fake out death. And it was like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's like, did you just, did you, yeah, it just didn't have to happen. I, I, I don't think you didn't have to do that. Like you said, kill him or don't kill him at all. And in my mind, you just don't kill him at all. And don't even pretend to kill him because this is like, I don't know. I, I feel like they could have helped cultivate that relationship through the story somehow without having to kill him. Because even after it happens, after he f- figures out he's ahead, there's no moment where they have a one-on-one where, when Thor is like, man, we almost lost you, buddy. I don't know what I would have done without you. I don't mm-hmm. know what I, that does. We don't even get that. It's just like, oh, he's ahead now. I'm glad you're alive. And they move on. 
you know, and I wish I wish there was something else there, and, and we don't get that either. So I'm still glad he's here. I think Korg is hilarious. I think he's a good character, but like you said, just he's he's kind of weird in, in this in this um in this story. The same way that kind of Tessa Thompson is weird. It's like you kind of are there for the ride, but you also don't really have the biggest arc in the world. You just kind of serve as a I don't know another another friend along for the ride. So it's it's it was also a, a mixed bag with Korg too for me. Yeah, it would have been nice to also get something like that between him and Thor, considering that Korg and Meek were the two people that were probably there for Thor the most exactly. during that very depressive state exactly. while the blip was happening. Yeah. Like, that was his best friend. So I, I get why they're so close. I get why Korg is along for the ride at every mm-hmm. step of the way. But tell us more of that. Show us that. Like, mm-hmm. it would be nice to see just some seriousness like some seriousness is good you know it can really it can really add to the weight of a relationship or the way that we perceive characters and it just takes one or two lines like it does not have to be a lot of time it doesn't have to be five minutes it doesn't have to be three minutes it could be like two lines just like he narrated all of Valkyrie's backstory very quickly like well if we got two lines or three lines of that between him and Thor I think it would have made me feel a little bit differently about the depiction here but all that said, let's just quickly talk about the end of the movie, um, which we have alluded to earlier, but we do get the death of Jane Foster. We do see that Gore ultimately makes the wish to bring his daughter Love back. He does not wish for the extinction of the gods, so he has a little bit of a redeeming moment there, really really, really out of the sake of his daughter, so that his daughter could have a life and move on. He was initially hesitant about it, but Jane basically says like somebody will be able to look after her and volunteers Thor. Kind of weird that she just like stepped up for Thor and told him like, yeah, you're going to take care of this child now. Like that, yeah, that, was, that was a little bit of like, a, damn. I'm like, wow. Okay. He has no say in this. Um, very interesting. But that, that said, um, we do get a nice sweet tender moment with those two at the end. She whispers whatever her catchphrase is to him before she, before she dies. I, I do wonder what it was, but it's, it's better that we don't know. I think it's a, it's a nice emotional moment for them to share that last that last time together and then gore ultimately perishes as well because the necro sword has really taken away all of his life and and has cursed him and we we get this new this new character love who is the you know being looked after by thor this is played by his real life daughter which is which is cute but love is now a part of it she is as you said sort of birthed out of eternity so certainly carries some power carries more abilities than just a regular human being but she's living with thor now he makes her pancakes and you know (laughs) that 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 sort of leads us to what the title of this movie is like he is he's thunder and she is literally love you know and that's why we got it called love and thunder here so it was a it was a nice way to wrap up not the strongest ending in the world and Mm -hmm. it just kind of leaves me with more questions than answers because as we talked about with Axel, I'm just wondering about what, what her future is. Like, is this going to be another kid, a part of this Young Avengers team that has like a lineup of 25 at this point now? I don't know. But I do think that it sort of makes sense in terms of the next step for for Thor and his journey mm-hmm. to maybe have somebody to look out after, you know, and to sort of be responsible for. Because he's been aimless for a little bit now. He's been yeah. sort of purpose purposeless and 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 looking for something to, to, to really lean into. And because he's lost so many people, now we've added somebody to his life which is really nice to see yeah especially for somebody who's lived such a long life right even star lord is like dude for somebody who's been alive for thousands of years you just don't seem to know who you are and so i i there's there's a lot of cool ideas you know there for me i love that you know love is one she's literally the cultivation of love 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I also like that even how we were talking about, he just goes through ceilings. He's reckless. Now he's he has his whole being he has to worry about where she he can't be reckless, you know, like he was. Like he has somebody who he actually legit has to look after. Also love how she's also super powerful, like him, like born being born out of eternity. Love is a god. <laughs> and 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 I think that you know they're gonna they're gonna play with that a little bit more with love with love being a god. Because Thor is a god though, though too. But now he has to teach her human things that he loves from that he learned from jane i I love that stuff about it too man i think that's really cool i i i also think that um you know thor it now you know he it's crazy he has like a whole warrior underneath him Uh, so i think i just think that's cool because anytime i see like a father daughter story and like but it's like action involved it usually ends up being a good story for me like usually i'm like i'm into it you know what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm also excited to see that. Um, oh, I love the small detail, bro, where in the beginning where Gore, the, Gore is, see, he's holding love and she's dying, right? You can see those little drawings on the rock that she drew like of the love god or of the sun god. And at the end of the film, she's drawing stuff on Molnir now. And I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is tight. Like, I love I love that that's in there. That's, like, just a, a, a really cool callback. Um, but like you said, I, I love where this is taking the character, too. It's like Thor has a thing to do. The dude has, like, a whole daughter now. He calls her Uncle Thor, which I'm pretty sure for a young actress, when it's actually your dad, it's probably mad weird. <laughs> she was like, Uncle Thor? I'm like, no, it's your dad, dude. Like. Um, but, uh, uh, I, I just think it's cool. Like he now has a, not only a, a small child to look after, but she is very powerful in, in how he, the same way that he learned, he had to learn to be powerful in his own way. He has to teach her how to be powerful in her own way too, while learning her powers, whatever those may be. All we know is the girl got lightning coming out of her eyes. Um, the only other thing, I, what is the, what does she eat? If she don't like, what do they call them? Pan flaps? Pan flaps, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a pan flap. But it's like, dang, girl, at least try the pan flaps before you get mad. He, he's like, no, you do eat these pan flaps. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to see this 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 father-daughter bond for sure. Especially, I think they're going to have automatic chemistry, right? I mean, they're literally father and daughter in real life. So I'm excited to see where it goes in the future, man. I, I think it, it's going to be cool. Absolutely. Well, let's wrap up here. We got two stingers that came at the conclusion of this film. Um, let's actually start with the the actual post credit scene first, which we see Jane Foster arrive at the gates of Valhalla, and she's greeted by Idris Elba as Heimdall, who is returned here for for a very brief brief appearance, and he welcomes her because she did technically die in battle. We learn in the movie mm-hmm. that in order to enter into Valhalla, you have to die in battle, a glorious death. It's almost predetermined as a as a Viking that you that you go out this way. And she's welcomed. And it was it was really nice to see Idris Elba back here. I thought that that was that was cool because again another unexpected unexpected thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just wonder about further usage of Valhalla and what this may mean for the future. I'm a little I'm a little dubious about it i think on one end it's nice it's a nice way to see her off and to send her into this world and see like she had a proper death that's that's being respected and she's being welcomed into the Mm -hmm. gates of valhalla especially since they referenced it so much in the movie on the other hand this kind of speaks to that fake out death thing that i was talking about like Mm -hmm. well now they've introduced a card where they could technically bring her back and really anybody in valhalla if they want to because they've introduced it now it's like is Valhalla truly like a place of death or is it just really like another realm that we can 
potentially visit and see these characters again. So it'll all depend on how it's utilized in the future. Yeah. But I do want to ask, do you think she comes back? Do you think Jane Foster is a character that we'll see again in the future? If so, any predictions on how that might come to fruition? Yeah, I absolutely think she'll come back, man. So much of this story is, I think they did a, a decent job besides a lot of the gore stuff, again, that I kind of have grievances with. I think they did a good job of following that uh, the comic run, you know, that they pulled this from. And this is one of them. I think, uh, if, if I remember right, she does end up in Valhalla, but she ends up coming back eventually as a Valkyrie. And so I, I see that happening for sure. <laughs> I really do. And I think that's why they showed it. They they just wanted to tell us where she was. They're like, oh, she made it to Valhalla. Good. But now I, I don't know how it happens 100%, but I, I have a feeling Natalie Portman will return as Jane Foster. Will it be the Mighty Thor? I don't think so. I'm not 100% sure, but I don't think so because it very feels feels safe or seeing that Molnir is now in the hands of love and Thor in this moment. But I feel like she, I've, her coming back as a Valkyrie would be cool because because of her in, t- uh, in, in, in Valkyrie's relationship. You know what I mean? Because I, and I just don't know how it happens, but huge feeling that she's going to come back. So that, that's really all I got on that. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, a part of me was thinking that Natalie Portman in returning to this franchise might have done something similar to like what we saw with Kate Blanchett as Hella or Michael B. Jordan as as Killmonger. It's it's a situation of like, you know, I'm gonna come in for this one movie. Get uh, out of there. Kill me, right? Mm-hmm. Um I think I think I think that's definitely like what Jake Gyllenhaal probably did. Like, kill mm-hmm. me. I'm not I'm not signing a nine picture deal. I wanna have mm-hmm. fun for one movie, then I'm gonna be out. And I feel like Natalie Portman may have done that just to really put a bow on her character and give her a proper send off because we never did get that. And this yeah. was this was this was a great way. I do think that the ending here and the way that she left off was was very nice. And so if this was truly the end for her, that that's a that's a really nice way to go out. Um, that being said, to your point, the fact that they put it in here, the fact that they included Valhalla, it's like. She might feel that way, but you know, Marvel's always going to make sure that they that they back themselves up and mm-hmm. say like, "Well, if we want to bring her back, <laughs> we have a way to do so because we've introduced Valhalla, so nobody's ever really dead." Uh, one way that I thought about that this could be really, really effective on an emotional level if they yeah. go this route. I'm thinking like far into the future, whenever, whenever Thor's end does happen in the MCU, whenever mm-hmm. Thor goes away as a character, if we get a moment where he dies in battle and he goes to the gates of Valhalla and we literally see all the people he's lost over these films. Oh my God. I might. Tears. Tears I'm, for days. I, I'm, t- I'm I might losing not make it. it. I'm, <laughs> if we, cause we've talked so much about his loss and yeah. how many people he's had to see die and he's been there for all of that. If we got a moment of him at the gates of Valhalla and he sees Heimdall and Ooh. Jane and Ooh. Frigga Ooh. and Odin it's- and Loki. I, I mean, that and the, and the Warriors three. If he sees all these people, I don't know how they'll pull that off because that's a lot of that's people lot you got to get yeah. on the schedule. Um, so it might be wishing for the stars at this point. But Valhalla as a concept can allow you that opportunity, right? As that's you true. said, like this has opened up a new thing for them to explore. And so, if you mm-hmm. want to make it really, really hit the nail on the head from an emotional standpoint and give him the send off that we got with Tony Stark or with Captain America in those movies, how how much that affected us, that could do it, man. That could really that could really send a lot of waterworks throughout the theater. But we'll have wow. to see. Like 
I think like we both sort of know, Chris Hemsworth is not done with this character. He's certainly got more to do, and I think he's been very vocal about that. And even Natalie Portman has recently said she'd love to come back if 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 the story's good enough, if the script is good enough. And so I think she's even willing to possibly return. So we'll we'll have to see. Um, the other big stinger that we got, probably the more shocking one, I think for 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 many people, we get that moment that you alluded to earlier with Zeus. Talking about the gods, and I really love this because you do see them snap into that seriousness, and he's talking a lot about the gods and how they're not taken seriously anymore, and they've fallen from grace and what they used to be. He's saying things like, you know, it used to be where they would pray to you, and, and they wouldn't even know if we would respond and answer back, mm. and now they just worship superheroes. Now that's all they care about, mm. and we get the reveal of Brett Goldstein as Hercules by the way, we knew Hercules was going to be in this movie. We we predicted this. We, we said that there's no way he would not be in this movie. Didn't think it would be the post credit scene, but I'm actually glad that it was. It's a great way to hold off on that tease. Um, this was a big moment. This got a big pop in the theater. Obviously, more people watched Ted Lasso than I ever knew. Like Brett Goldstein, a lot of is, people. Yeah, a lot of people erupted when when they saw like, oh. him on screen. I'm like, oh, <laughs> everybody watches Ted Lasso. Apparently, um, I think that this is low key great casting. If you watch Ted Lasso, you know. Brett Goldstein is Roy Kent in that show is he's so phenomenal. He's such a good actor. He's one of the shining elements of Ted Lasso because he's such an asshole. He's such a hyper masculine machismo type of figure. So for him to be Hercules makes a lot of sense. I think that whole arrogance that he carries throughout his whole persona mm-hmm. is 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 on the nose for sure. So this was dope to see now. This is continuing in the trend of what they've been doing in Phase 4 lately, yeah. revealing casting announcements in post credit scenes, which I've, I'm of mixed minds about. We, we we got it so far in Eternals, Harry Styles' Arrows. Mm-hmm. We also got it in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness with Charlize Theron as Clea. It technically also would have happened in Black Widow with Contessa. Because that was supposed to come out before the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh So uh technically, we would have saw Julia Louis-Dreyfus revealed in that post credit scene if that movie came out when it was supposed to. They've been doing this a lot lately. It's cool. It's a nice way to surprise people. Like, oh my God, such and such actor is playing such and such character. The only thing that worries me is like, well, when is this stuff going to happen? Like, Mm -hmm. are we going to wait like five years for this to to manifest? Because Taika Waititi is about to go direct a Star Wars movie. They could get another director. You know, they don't have Mm -hmm. to stick with him, but it doesn't seem like they stray away from him at this point. It seems like Taika has a pretty strong hold on this character. So like, are we going to wait another five years for Thor 5 and Hercules to come in as the main villain or a co-partner of Thor or whatever the case may be? Same thing for Doctor Strange and Clea. Like, when is that movie going to happen? So Mm -hmm. I'm just like, they're making a lot of promises and I just wonder when when they'll actually deliver upon them. You know, one of the biggest biggest weaknesses to me of Phase Four, and actually of this movie too, that actually takes it away from it um, for me too, is the connectedness of it all. Right? Like, there's just so much happening. But before, I don't. There was always something that's like, okay, I see where this is going. I see where this is going. Blah blah blah. Phase One, Captain America, we're returning the Avengers. You know, I don't, there there was just so much that felt like okay, I I get where this is. Even after Phase One, Phase Two happens, and things start to pop up. You're like, oh, I think that's the Power Stone. Is that one of the Infinity Stones that is in this movie? Oh, that's probably going to come later down the line. Thanos is. I don't. In 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 this, it feels like these casting announcements. They're fine and dandy. But what's next? Like, we just don't know 
what's happening. And so it's it's been a weird ride in this entire phase where instead of telling us what's next or what's the ideas next for a story, it's just a casting announcement that Mm -hmm. doesn't tie into anything else. And the thing is about these casting announcements, they're not even like, it's not like Nick Fury showing up in Iron Man where it's like, he's going to show up in other movies. It's like, no, Clea's probably only going to pop up in the next Doctor Strange. (laughs) Eros is only probably going to pop up in the next Eternals. You know what I'm saying? It's not like a... Hercules is probably only going to pop up in the next Thor movie. It's not like a connective tissue that exists in these post-credit scenes anymore. So it's it's just been really weird, man. Even watching this whole entire film, it's by himself. Thor, I don't know. Like, it doesn't exist in in, in that it's feel like it's moving towards anything. And so, yeah, it's just been really weird in in, in terms of that. And and, and again, that feels like one of the biggest weaknesses with this entire phase. Um, And and again, it's, it's just weird still watching MCU movies. That you don't feel like it's connected to anything. Because the TV shows we talk about, we're doing the very same thing for us, right? We watch Moon Knight. We're like, okay, that was cool and all. But now what? Uh, and, and, and and we're hoping for these answers to come out with Comic-Con coming up, right? When Marvel explains the slate, Kevin Feige is like, it's obvious to me, even though it's not obvious to y'all. And we're like, well, yeah, to you. Like, <laughs> what about us? You're the mastermind, Kevin. <laughs> Uh, we're, we're come important. on help us out here yeah, we're like we're important too what are you saying and, and of course we have our theories right we have all these things but even with the so there there came a moment in in phase two slash three where we're like there is no guessing thanos is coming my nigga we don't know when <laughs> but we know thanos is coming and so we're in the middle of, of phase four and it's just very open and and it's intentional though marvel's told us this intentional kevin feige's been like we're doing this on purpose and that's fine yeah. i guess but it's like i just hope the payoff is what they think it is that's all that that's really what it is i just hope it is what they think it is and so um i'm super glad to see hercules here i think that shit is tight i've i've liked hercules in every medium that he's in book uh a video game disney <laughs> i just like hercules just cool disney to times me. two now disney times two now <laughs> he's just really cool to me he's a freaking demigod it whoops ass let's do that shit but like i just yeah it's 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 we'll see what happens i think that it's it's interesting his inclusion here because I can't take him completely as a villain, right? Like, we talked about this off podcast, too. We know that Hercules has gone on to being in Avengers teams, and I think him and him and Thor have also been, like, the God Squad. The same team he was trying to put together of a bunch of gods happened in the comics. It's the freaking God Squad. Who knows is going to be in it? It could be freaking Silver Surfer could be in that bitch, for all I know. I don't know, but there, there has it has happened before. And so it's like, okay, even though he may be antagonistic, Will he be the antagonist of the next movie? You know what I'm saying? Like you, I just feel like they need to start giving us more in some of these post credit scenes, kind of like they used to do. They just used to mean a little bit more than they do now. So it's 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 a mixed bag for me too as well. Yeah, I think the one thing I don't know if they'll go this route, but it seems like it sticks out as a thematic choice that they could roll with in the future is that whole speech that preceded the reveal of Hercules by Zeus. It's a beautiful like speech, they, by the way. It well, is well and written. If it, and if they explore that as like the central theme of Thor five, that can be incredibly enticing. Mm-hmm. Just the idea that gods are no longer what they used to represent mm. because gods and monsters. Hello. Right. And they don't gods don't take themselves seriously. So why should we as people ever, mm. you know, pray and worship them? Because superheroes exist now. They are like the new gods. And so you get that whole concepts. dichotomy between old gods and new gods. We're literally experiencing that right now. Like in this moment, like superheroes kind of are the new 
Greek mythology. Comic yeah. books are the new Greek mythology, right? Mm -hmm. And so that could be fascinating if it's well written. And Hercules is also in a very similar place that Thor used to be in, in terms of wanting that approval from his father. Hercules mm -hmm. is very arrogant, very much mm -hmm. wants to seek out that approval that he can get from Zeus and impress him. That used to be Thor with Odin. And yeah. Thor was headstrong and, and got ahead of himself and, and had to learn the ways of being an Asgardian and being a protector to Earth. And he had to find things to truly care about to find himself and not be mm -hmm. living for other people. I think Hercules is in that similar spot right now. So to your point, if he starts off as an antagonist, but then eventually has to learn, like, yeah. oh, I have to be more. I have to become, like, something more than what I am right now because even my own father is kind of blinded by all of this mess. I think that that's a great story you can tell. Mm -hmm. And it gives you an out to make Zeus the villain or make other Greek gods the villain. Hello, that's Ares. True. That would be fucking incredible. Ares mm -hmm. and Hercules and Thor. Oh, my God. Dude, that, take my that, money now? That, that's a movie. You yeah. know, that's a whole thing right now. I was really let down. We didn't get Beta Ray Bill because it's like, when the fuck are they going to do this character? <laughs> but mm -hmm. if they hold off that 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 particular character again to explore more of this greek mythology greek gods norse mythology all of that stuff i think it could provide for a very interesting story but we'll have to see let's wrap up here and end off things last thing i want to ask you final thoughts on this movie final thoughts on where thor may go in the future and then your rankings ranking it in the mcu as a whole phase four how does it fall with the rest of the things that we've gotten so far in terms of the movies not the tv shows but just the movies where would you place it so what are your you know sort of final thoughts on thor love and thunder here yeah man um where thor is going to go next i'm not sure i think there's a lot they can do like you said we now we have a, at least a little bit of a look of the 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 zeus and hercules things hopefully they have a good story in that what you just said is it i think an amazing 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 skeleton for what could make a really good movie because there's so much theology around that right there's a lot of theories there's a lot of um i don't know things that you can play with like you said that that also pertains to the real world and how a god would feel in these moments as zeus does like i said people don't pray to him anymore but people do they did at least pray to iron man you know what i mean people did pray to you know what i'm saying and maybe maybe the the jealousy of what thor is to people now also goes into that so i would love to see that be explored in the future um i also even though we talked about valkyrie's love story it's still on the board she still is looking for a queen i think there's still very much something there for them to do for them to explore so i think they'll do that too um i don't know man uh the, I, there are so many storylines where thor has actual kids is that going to happen now with love I'm, I'm i'm leaning towards no now because this is kind of his child now and so I'm, I'm leaning away from him actually having a, a child, especially without Natalie Portman or without Jane Foster kind of being around um, unless she does return. I did have a, a vision in my head of, of Jane returning to to help him raise love uh, and them kind of becoming like this crazy family. You know what I'm saying? In the MCU, I did have that idea at some point. Um, who knows if that happens? We still have Beta, Real, Beta, Beta Ray Bill to go. I don't know where, where he fits in um we have a whole another story that he doesn't sound like he's going to be in <laughs> right but he could pop up i don't know how i don't know where but we know omnipotent city exists now we know beta ray bills it has to be out there somewhere we've gotten the the, the teases and the and the hooks that he exists so i'm i'm praying he exists somewhere i think also the i don't think the well no it's probably done but i, I was thinking in my head there that the 
the Necro Sword isn't over, but I think the destroying of the Necro Sword might be mm-hmm. it. Um, mm-hmm. it. It might be done for that, and it might have been really intentional for them to say, no, nah, destroy this goddamn sword so it doesn't exist in the MCU no more. That very well might be the case, but um, I, I think there was like a Noel, the symbiote god dude, held it at some point. Yeah, yeah, he was. Um, yeah, he held. I think he was the creator of the sword. Creator uh, of the Noel. sword. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I thought maybe, and once once all the Venom and Spider Man stuff finally gets figured out, once that storyline progresses, that would have been a cool direction to go. But that's way too far in the future, so I don't think that's going to happen either. Um, so yeah, man, we'll just have to see on that front. As for far as this movie, man, again, I I like this movie. This is this is a movie that does feel way more rewatchable than 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 Thor: The Dark World for me. Um, I uh, it, it's it's never going to hit Ragnarok, and uh, you know what I'm saying. Ragnarok is just it's an anomaly. It is Taika. I think they did something magical here, um, or magical there, and in, in, in here it, they just couldn't re- recreate the magic that they had before for multiple different reasons. But it's still a very enjoyable movie for me. It still has a couple beautiful set pieces. Clearly, there's there's problems that you and I both have, but I'm still I'm still at, at least somewhat satisfied in, 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 in what we got here. Again, there's the disconnectedness of it all is very disappointing. The the lack of gore, the God Pusher here was a little bit disappointing. But I will say I do love where this left the character Thor. That's one of the biggest things for me. I love that he has something to look after. I love that we might see these that character interaction among other characters in the MCU at some point, right? I, I, I would love for Thor to run into freaking the Hulk and see that he has a daughter now. You know what I'm saying? I, I love the idea of that um, um, in the MCU at some point. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it just is what it is. And, and we'll have to see. There's a lot that has to happen. MCU has grown so tremendously in scope that it's hard to tell when these things are going to happen again. Like you said, it's it's very hard. Taika's about to go do a Star Wars movie, bro. When it ain't in this phase that another Thor is going to come out. You know what I'm saying? It, probably not even in phase five, if you really want to be real, because there's a lot of work to be done. We know there's Fantastic Four movies and X-Men movies and, and things like that, but uh, uh, I'm just, uh, you know, it's it's just a, a, a weird place to be, I think, in the MCU. But I think Thor Love and Thunder, I, although it didn't meet expectations, I think it still did something by the end of it that I can appreciate, man. We still get, again, a couple of those set pieces with the kids or in the in the Shadow Realm that I really, I'm like, ooh, I'm definitely going to go back and watch those. And, you know, some of those laughs in there that were created, sure, some of them didn't, weren't needed, but I'm still going to laugh, you know, at them, at them every now and then. But it, it this movie also made me even more excited to see where we see the Guardians at the beginning of Guardians 3 next year. You know what I mean? It, it did do things, I think, that did, also did service the MCU as much as some of those things, I think, didn't service the MCU. So I, I still think it's it's still a, a decent place um, in in where we are and where we leave the character. But it's okay to be a little disappointed, but I still very much like the movie. And so I'm, I'm excited to see where we see Thor in Thor 5, man. Yeah, and what about your rankings? Where 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 were the ranking the MCU for you at this point, and what about Phase Four? In the MCU, is hard as hell because we are what twenty twenty eight twenty nine twenty nine twenty goddamn nine. It's it'll probably fall in a weird lower middle region, whatever the hell that means. Um, because 
there I would very much there's still a couple of MCU entries where I would very much watch this movie multiple times <laughs> before I watch those films um for sure and so I'm going to go with a with a, a lower middle tier if we had a low tier middle tier high tier I'm probably in leaning towards the the uh, a, a either a middle middle tier or a lower middle tier depends I got to map it out I haven't mapped it out like I have mapped out phase four, which is more fresh in my mind, you know, uh, but where it ranks in phase four is also in the middle, which is funny. I think this where it exists in the greater of the MCU is where I also think it, it, it ranks in phase four for me, man. I kind of have it. Um, I have it, un- of course, under No Way Home. It's under Multiverse of Madness and it's under Shang-Chi for me, but it's better than Eternals and Black Widow. So that's kind of where it exists for me. It's fourth out of six, I guess, um, in, in, in those rankings is where it kind of lives i think I'd, I'd still rather watch this movie in a lot of different ways than i would eternals as much as i don't think eternals is a train wreck I don't, like other people do nor do i think this is a train wreck again these are these are two movies where i still like them i just don't love them the mcu has created so much of a standard man when it comes to how put well put together these films can be in the stories that they tell um and so yeah man that's where i have it kind of right in the middle at, at the fourth spot in terms of phase four yeah, so I already gave my pitch for Thor. I, I think with what they gave us for Hercules, that that's where I would like to see him go. Uh, overall, this movie, it's fine. It's cool. I do like a lot of stuff about it, but there's definitely various, very pro- various problems that we've already outlined. You've talked about a lot of them, so I won't repeat. MCU rankings for me, right now, it's sitting at the 18th spot. I have, just for context, like the two in front, the two behind it, I have Doctor Strange at 20. I have mm-hmm. Avengers Age of Ultron. Ultron at 19, then Thor 11 Thunder would be at 18, and then right above that I have Spider-Man Far From Home, uh, and then 16 would be Ant-Man, so that does fall into that lower, you know, sort of lower mid-tier you're talking about here, because there's 29, There's this list is ever-growing, we still have like four movies left in Phase 4, it's kind of crazy. Phase 4 rankings, it's also in the same spot, Spider-Man No Way Home is number one, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is number two for me, Shang-Chi, number three for me, then it's Thor 11 Thunder, and then right after that I have Eternals, and then Black Widow is um, in that final spot, so it's definitely definitely mid mid tier at best you know which wanted more obviously hoped for more but it's okay i think a lot of these a lot of these outings tend to be fine you mm-hmm. know which you do want more i think that they certainly hit a stride in phase three that they have not matched quite yet with phase four i'd just like to see some direction really and just like a bigger bigger plan and a bigger scope to to see where we're heading because though phase four is only in its you know 18th month i think at this point we've churned through a lot more stuff on a much much quicker rate because of those disney plus series i think i saw it in an ign article that we've already gotten 55 hours worth of stuff in phase four compared to the 33 hours that we got in the first three sagas combined that's nuts when you think about it so things are just moving a lot faster so with this character thor i think there's still a lot left to do he's one of the ogs chris hemsworth still great still wants to obviously play this character whether or not he's in the avengers don't know they could use him or they could just you know sort of keep him off on the side I'm fine with movies not connecting to the overarching story, but it yeah. still has to be a great movie. Mm-hmm. And this was not a great movie, right? Great. This was just a an average movie. So I think you, you got to kind of give me one or the other. Um, do want to talk a little bit more about the state of phase four, but we're going to save that for an entirely different podcast. We're going to have a Twitter spaces about this movie in the state of phase four to talk about a lot of the things going on with Marvel and where they're headed in the future. But with that said, ladies and gentlemen, that's all we have for this very, very big episode of two black nerds. Thank you again for tuning in to another podcast and our review of Thor Love and Thunder. We will be back later this week. we got an action-packed week for you. We will be back on 
Wednesday, actually, with another episode because we got to talk about the finale of The Boys as well as a few other things that we got to catch up with in the world of news. And then, as usual, we will return this Thursday with our review of the finale of Miss Marvel, the show that we've been reviewing each and every week. So the final episode is coming out this Wednesday, so we'll be back on Thursday to talk about that. And next week, we're actually going to take a break because we've been giving y'all a lot of stuff, a lot of podcasting and dropping each and every week. So we're going to take just a little brief break here, just one week, and then we'll be back in a couple of weeks to talk about all the brand new things. But until all that stuff rolls out, definitely keep up with Two Black Nerds. Big action pack week ahead of y'all, and we'll see y'all next time. Yes, 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 y'all. With that being said, we are Audi 5000. Appreciate y'all for rocking with us for another long breakdown and episode, man. We love, we love, love, love y'all because y'all really be rocking with us and be listening to these whole things. I'll be watching. We be watching, man. And we, we really appreciate it. Again, check out our Nerds of Thunder collection at 2BlackNerds.com. This is the year of 2022 Black Nerds. And remember, always good on black. Appreciate y'all. Love y'all. Thank you for listening to another episode of 2 Black Nerds where we're too black, too nerdy, and we out, y'all. Peace. <laughs>